Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and welcome to the Astrology Podcast. So joining me today is Kira Taborn, and Kira's in town uh, for a concert, and we're just going to do a casual astrology chat episode. So hey, Kira, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. So you're actually in Denver to see a concert and reached out and just said, hey, like, want to uh, do a chat, and, and it worked out perfectly. Yeah, it's perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, what are you here to see? The Strokes, they're my favorite band since I was like 13 or something. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see them. We really, I'm here with my best friend, Teddy, shout out Teddy. Um, and we really wanted to see, we wanted to go to Red Rocks. We haven't been, and I just knew it would be cool to see the Strokes there. So, yeah, yeah. Red Rocks is really beautiful, especially this time of the year. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Uh, so, what was the last the last episode you and I did together? It was almost a year ago. It was the Scorpio episode, right? Well, we did um, the June forecast. Oh, the forecast, of course. <laughs> but yeah, yeah the last thinking, full episode, yeah. Yeah, of like the major ones. Mm -hmm. Then before that, we did the generational astrology mm -hmm. episode, um, as well as one on your podcast that was like that legendary like history of the revival of ancient astrology, which I hadn't really talked about before. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, so, what are some of the things you've been thinking about lately, astrologically, or what's on your mind? So much. <laughs> um, I feel like, obviously, Venus retrograde is on heavy on the mind. Right. I'm in a Venus perfection year right now, and um, this is sort of the cycle that I was born under, I guess, 32 years ago. I was born in November, but what it's the one preceding 1991. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, same year, basically, yeah. like right after this one. Yeah, exactly. So, it's a big retrograde. We're in the middle of this, like, Venus Uranus square, um, which I was just saying, I have that natally in my chart. So, yeah, the second square, the first and second square have been hitting. Um, but, yeah, obviously thinking a lot about Venus. Um, Let me see what our chart is for today. Oh, so, yeah. it looks like this is today, so it's what, Saturday, August 12th, um, starting at about 3.05 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, with five Sagittarius rising. Um, yeah, so Venus is right there at 20 degrees of Leo, has just come into the Kazemi range with the sun about a degree away at 20, and we'll go exact tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, excited. I'm excited for the rebirth, because, <laughs> um, you know, combustion's always kind of tough. I think a lot of people have been feeling it. A lot of... Um, my Venus, Venusian friends especially have been like super burnt out. I've been burnt out, um, and yeah, I'm excited for the for the phase shift. I have a diurnal morning star Venus myself, so okay, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so that'll be line up here pretty soon, almost with your exact phase, especially mm -hmm. around your birthday. Yeah, I have my exact return like the day before my birthday. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And so we're at the center of, you know, the episode I just released today was the Anana episode with Demetra oh, about yeah. Anana's descent into the underworld and how that myth is really centered around Venus going under the beams and that being the underworld transit. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense in terms of it feeling like kind of an intense period right now. Yeah. I think, I mean, yesterday in particular, everyone was feeling it. I think it was the moon and plus Venus Uranus, of course, but um, the moon was like squaring Neptune and it was just so messy. And I think, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to that like rebirth, run into the fire energy of mm. this weekend and kind of, yeah, I'm excited to see what the other side of it's going to be like. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's cool that you were born in 91, just after that retrograde in the summer of 1991. 
Um, I've been seeing just so many cool lineups like that, like that it, it really extends to almost like the entire year. Mm-hmm. It feels like at this point, like that was one of the big discoveries with Barbie, right. you know, was that Barbie wasn't released under exactly the Venus retrograde. She was released in the same year as the Leo retrograde, mm-hmm. but then obviously that repetitions continued to be major every time it happens in that year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I don't know why this retrograde in particular seems to be like the, the cycles seem to be hitting so hard and they're so loud, maybe because it's Leo. Um, one of my best friends is a Leo born um, in August of 91. And she has the sun, Jupiter, Venus, and Mercury all pretty much within like two degrees um, in Leo at the very end at like 28, 29. Mm-hmm. Um and she was born during this retrograde, obviously. Venus was, or Mercury was retrograde too. And I was, I saw her um, last month when I was in town. And I was kind of asking her because I, I knew that Venus was stationing on her Leo stellium. And I thought about it and I, she's married. She has a, um, like an eight month old daughter, I guess at this point. And um, I was like, did you and John, her husband, start dating? Um, they started dating when they were that summer right before or right around the time they turned 16. So it would have been the second Leo, um, Venus retrograde in Leo, um, after she was born. Mm -hmm. And then I realized she got married, um, in 20, oh no, she, maybe they got engaged in 2015. I think that's what it was. Um, yeah, they got engaged in 2015 during like around this retrograde cycle again. So yeah, and then are, if their child's only eight months old, then their child is that their first child? Yeah, okay, and yeah. was born in this like this year or just she was born um, Christmas Eve, so like okay. almost pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty close. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I love seeing that stuff. I have a friend just like that where just looking through their chronology where they got married under one and then they got together in a relationship under one, they got married under the next and then they had a baby under the third yeah, one. So it's like the same so thing. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Especially with her, she's like a ninth house Leo stellium. Um, and I was asking her about like, what's going on right now? And she's just like, I feel everything's going really well. You know, she's mm-hmm. like doing really well at work. She just got back to work. She's like the breadwinner right now. And like, yeah, she's super happy with the baby. And it's just so cool to hear that, like, someone that was very much a part of this cycle, born under it, very close to the Kazemi, like, within a couple of days. Um, and she's killing it right now, so. Nice. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Is she, like, a day chart or a night chart? She's day chart, okay. ninth house Leo, okay. <laughs> stellium, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Um, I've been noticing, you know, this this retrograde's unique because this is the first one entirely in Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been hearing a lot of stories where I'm realizing um, the topic of the house often really matters. But this one's been interesting and a little tricky with the repetitions because you go back and ask people what happened eight years before mm-hmm. and eight years before that. But because the ones prior to this were in two signs, I've been noticing that in the previous repetitions, it was activating the topics of both of those houses mm. and sometimes tying them together. But in this one, it's just like one house. So there's kind of a, a shift. That makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's been, I'm curious if you have any stories, because for me, it's been 
very clear what this pattern is now. Now that I know it was, I can think back to, to, to eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was working on, well, I was unemployed <laughs> during the summer of 2015. I had like quit a job in the beginning of the year and just like wasn't finding work. And so I was just kind of unemployed. And your Pisces rising, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is all sixth house for me. So Leo's your sixth house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and Venus rules my eighth house and my third house. So those themes kind of come in. But um, but yeah, I remember I was just doing a lot of odd jobs. And it was that summer I decided to launch um, my social media, my astrology social media accounts. Mm. And it was under this great Leo election that you and Lisa made. It must have been July or August 2015. Okay. Um, so right around this time. And it was Jupiter and Venus and Leo, Sun and Leo think all in the first house um excuse me yeah that was the one where like same-sex marriage became yeah. legalized and like uh austin kelly and i started doing the forecasts around then and everything yeah exactly i remember it well um and it was so beautiful because i just remember looking up and at the sky in the morning and seeing that venus jupiter and it was so pretty but anyway that's when i decided to launch I had like a Snapchat <laughs> and um, an Instagram, which is now my current Instagram. I was called Astro Cure back then. And I made like stickers with my Snapchat code on it and put it all around Brooklyn. And I was just like making, trying to make content for the first time. Mm. Um, and it's also cringy now, but <laughs> it's cool that I can still look back on it. Yeah. I love those things in the past that are like little beginnings um, that were like, you feel like cringy in retrospect, but at the time it's like, that was really pivotal. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, wait, but you were unemployed at that point when you tried to make that jump. Well, I was, yeah, I wasn't trying to make the full jump at that point, but I was like, I think my thought process was, okay, I'm really obsessed with astrology. And I felt like I wanted another page because I felt like I was annoying people by talking about astrology on my like normal uh, pages. Yeah. And so I was like, let me make a dedicated space for this. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, that's just how it started. And now eight years later, it's like, it's, it's just really weird to now once again, be in a place of like, I'm kind of pausing on making content and I'm trying to figure out what to do, what I want to do moving forward. And then on top of that, I'm, um, now working on a new app. And that feels so third house, ruler of my third house, retrograde in my sixth house, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm just having to do a lot of new, like, yeah, make content for a new app, like TikTok. I've never made TikTok content before. Uh, Yeah. Um, It's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. I'm still working my dance moves. (laughs) It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a Scorpio thing. It's hard to, I think, I don't know. For me, I'm like, I can't. I can't like be cutesy (laughs) unless I'm like, it's like very genuine, but, um, but yeah, I'm working on this new app. It's a dating app, which is exciting, which also feels very Venus. Like an astrology dating app. Yeah. It's a dating app that uses astrology. So I designed the algorithm for matching Mm. and, um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it, but it's cool. Yeah. To kind of be in this six house space again, um, you know, hiring people and managing writers. And I'm um, also like right before the station, maybe a day or two, because um, I've been just kind of contracting with them. But the the founder of the app essentially asked me to come on like 
seriously full time. So I'm um, the chief creative officer now, which mm. is so cool for me because it's like a title I didn't think I'd ever have. Right. That's really um, funny being a retrograde title. Yeah. Like, right. In the sixth house. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been a cool one for me so far. I'm like grateful that it's angular to Jupiter and not Saturn. Right. <laughs> and yeah, it's because last one was angular to Saturn, I believe for like a little bit. I think it's stationed right in the square with Saturn. Um, eight years ago. Eight years ago, okay. Mm -hmm. What was, well, and that one would have been partially near seventh. Like, was that relevant that summer? I don't, that I don't remember. I mean, I actually, I was dating someone. Um, I was dating a guy that summer, hmm. this like millionaire. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know he was a millionaire when we started dating, but um, it was sort of like this, yeah, this sort of like fun. He was also really, um, cat like like he his instagram name had like kitty in it he was obsessed with his cat there was a lot of cat themes um <laughs> and that's coming up again this year too like a lot of pets and animals oh really yeah six house stuff that's funny yeah but, but in that instance so there there you go but it was like in that one it was imported through the seventh house mm -hmm. where it was like relationships and then sixth house like yeah cats exactly uh, as well as work obviously yeah um but this year is it it's not through really it's more localized yeah relationship stuff has come up a bit but um it has been very work focus and working on the app and my um like my business partner he is a virgo super virgo which is my seventh house so there has been a lot of seventh house stuff in that regard mm -hmm. in terms of like us working together and a lot of partnership stuff happening um yeah he's very venusian too so it's interesting. What's the name of the app or like where can people find out more before we forget? Yeah, it's called Stars Align. Okay. Um, and we are, yeah, we're, it actually already exists, but I don't know if you can download it right now because we're working on the next version. The version that already exists, I had nothing to do with. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about this new version. We're kind of redoing everything. Planning to launch in November on my birthday, actually. Wow. Um, so, yeah, which is the Mars Kazemi. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's basically, you know, kind of, I don't want to say your standard dating app, but like it's a dating app like most of the ones that are out there, but we're using astrology to match people and you'll be able to see, um, you know, different insights around compatibility and stuff like that. So. Nice. So that's something you've been thinking about a lot lately is like sinistry and compatibility. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Because okay. <laughs> I, I feel like I approach it in a way um, that I, I'm sure other people approach it this way, but I don't necessarily see people talking about it mm. in the way that I approach it so much. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it's going to work out once the app is out and we start running the algorithm a little bit more. I've been testing it out with some like, random charts and then some charts of like me and people I know and then some celebrities. Hmm. So yeah, it's interesting to kind of see like, oh, I have this score compared to like Brad and Angelina's score or like Will Smith and Jada's score. Right. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean testing it out? Are you like telling people this is purely for scientific purposes? <laughs> <laughs> like no, I mean like um, with the algorithm I made, I've been sort of, yeah, testing out just like how how things, I guess how it work, and yeah. essentially without getting into it, obviously, like 
it comes out with some sort of score okay. at the end. So I've been trying, like trying different couples to see what the scores turn out to be. Mm-hmm. And like Will and Jada, for instance, um, had the highest one I've tested so far. Okay. So it's kind of cool to be like, Oh, okay. That's like an example of a couple that apparently, you know, is working out really well. They've been together for a long time and they have this really high compatibility score, um, based on the algorithm I built. So Nice. Testing it out that way. That's cool. Um, yeah, there's so many different types of relationships, and it's always interesting how the astrology reflects those unique things of sometimes like the strengths and the weaknesses. Yeah. Um, but that there's always this trickiness in terms of like when people decide to make it work and like push through certain obstacles versus like ones that are deal breakers for people and like what that looks like astrologically. Yeah. I think I've been thinking about that too, like with Brad and Angelina, who obviously, um, divorce or divorcing and like have a terrible falling out but their their score was really high which also makes sense like obviously they were together for over a decade they're going to be there's going to be some compatibility that was venus retrograde when they got together oh really yeah okay yeah that that checks that that, or that and like also when he split from uh Jennifer Anderson. Jennifer, my memory is really bad right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Was that a Venus retrograde in Scorpio or Gemini? It was in his seventh house. So it must oh, have been Gemini. Gemini. Yeah. 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 They have some interesting sinistry, those two. Lots of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think one thing I've been thinking a lot about in terms of sinistry is um, where someone's luminaries fall in your chart, like which mm. houses that they light up. Okay. Um, because I feel like it's so important, (laughs) um, such an important part of it. Like if someone's lighting up your 12th house or your eighth house, like from my experience, there tends to be, um, that's where a lot of issues I, I find come up, like Mm -hmm. not so much the squares, but oftentimes it's like they're lighting up your eighth house. No wonder they're kind of triggering you in that way, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, so yeah, that's something I think a lot about lately. Yeah. That was like one of the very few, um, sinistry things that's dropped in any of the Hellenistic texts was mentioning. I think that was like luminaries or or placements in each other's sixth or 12th being really difficult potentially. Mm -hmm. That checks out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, too. Yeah. That's cool. And then it's also, there's another separate one that would be interesting sometime, but it's like, those relationships sometimes where it's like the right people that are compatible, but it's at the wrong time mm-hmm. and just like what their transits look at like at the time or those other scenarios where it's like right place, right time or something right. like that or other scenarios like, you know, relationship that's right for a brief period of time, but is not permanent or like long lasting. Right. Yeah. 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 I think I've been thinking a lot about that too. And, um, how to look at transits of a relationship. Cause there's obviously a lot of different ways and people use like a Davidson chart and look at transits. Then obviously you can look at the transits of the two different people. Um, but it gets, it gets confusing, but it's also really in- interesting to me to like try to figure that out. Right. Yeah. That's like such an interesting problem. Cause it's like, if you can unlock that, then you yeah. really got huge part of, of what, is compelling to people about astrology. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people look at, especially early on, is like, what are the other people, you know, relationships? Like, what are our compatibility and how do we get along or, or where do we not? I mean, it's definitely 
one of my like earliest astrology memories is like being like maybe 10. I think this is around the time I progressed Mercury stationed retrograde actually. But the first time I started like Googling, it probably wasn't Google at the time, but researching online um, about astrology and I was looking up compatibility. Like I remember thinking, I want to know, I want to, I want to be able to tell my friends like if they're compatible with their crush, like mm-hmm. I guess I was taking on that role at 10 years old already, but um, it is such an intriguing part of it. I mean, mm-hmm. even if it's just like family relationships or friend relationships, just right. figuring out like, oh, that's why we have this dynamic is so, um, I don't know, it just can help so much <laughs> in yeah, dealing with people. For sure. Well, and going back to the 12th house thing, it's just, it also is helpful in terms of sometimes there's two people that just like, don't get along for reasons that aren't even necessarily the fault of either person, but for some reason they just like run at cross purposes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes being able to see that and understand it is really helpful just in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's like when their Mars is opposite your Mars or something. Right. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to avoid conflict with you then because it's not going to end well. Yeah, or or seeing that transit come up of like Mars getting ready to activate that. No, it's going to activate that opposition for both of you at mm-hmm. the same time being sometimes like good information. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, although that's like an issue also I was thinking about at one point, which was it's like what do you do if you have a conflict that's like forming with somebody and then you see a really tense um, transit that's coming up that's about to go exact and like internally you have the compulsion of like we need to deal with this and like have this out at this time but then if the astrology is telling you that this could indicate like a much bigger conflict or break that could become bigger than you intend mm-hmm. like do you still do it because the that's the moment to do it or do you put it off in right. order to avoid turning a small thing into a much bigger thing that maybe is worse than you intend yeah that is something to think about I remember when I broke up with my ex, I elected it. Mm, okay. <laughs> and um, it was like right after, it basically was like the moment that a full moon started to separate mm. is when I decided to do it. And it was like the full moon was, was like during sunset. So it was like angular. Mm. It was, I almost wish I had not done that and like waited. Was um, this like spur of the moment? No, I remember because I knew I had to break up with him and. I, I elected it to be like, it's going to be this. I think it was um, an Aries full moon. Um, yeah. And we had, our moons were opposite. So it was like highlighting the opposition of our moons, mm. but it was really tough. And I kind of, now I look back and I'm like, I would have done it. I probably would have waited like a, till the balsamic moon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was so intense and polarizing and right at the full moon. Yeah. yeah. Aspecting both of our moons and yeah, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. That could be a whole episode is like electional charts for breakups yeah, or something like that. Yeah. And, and hookups and dates. I love doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Electing a date. I'm, I feel like I'm really good at that personally. <laughs> <laughs> of doing good elections for like for having like a date yeah or like yeah. a first date yeah on my podcast when i was um before i like took another break i think venus retrograde i was like i have to stop um but i was doing these weekly forecasts and part of my forecasts were always talking about like what days are good for dates um 
And yeah, I just like, I feel like I'm good at that. Mm. <laughs> There's certain days where I, I want to warn people like, don't go on a first date this day. Right. Um, but there's some that are like, this is a great day for that. Um, or to, you know, go instead of like going out and spending a lot of money, like do a Netflix and chill type of date mm-hmm. because the moon's void or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that sometimes with like non-astrologer friends and like telling them that, but then sometimes like whether that's useful information or whether it's not because mm-hmm. they're going to do it anyways. And if you're like freaking somebody out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as actual astrologers, like you're always paying attention to that. So you do see it work consistently. Mm-hmm. And then we'll try to like schedule certain things on certain dates or avoid certain ones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was at the park the other day with some friends and, or at the beach or something. And one of my friends was like, you know, thought my other friend was really cute and was like, I'm going to ask her number. And I was like, um, might want to wait till tomorrow when the moon's not void. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to do it. You know, I can't wait. Right. Um, Scorpio rising very like, yeah, very intense. But, <laughs> but uh, he goes, I got her number, but I'm going to wait until tomorrow to hit her up. I'm going to mm. listen to you. And I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, it is really hard. Cause a lot of times people will ask thinking they want, your advice and then it's not what they want to hear and so they just disregard it (laughs) right yeah (laughs) happens a lot well it's so hard even as astrologers because it's like when you have a internal compulsion to like do something you want to follow that because it feels right in the moment Mm -hmm. oftentimes even if the astrology is like loudly telling you not to but like basically the astrology always ends up being right in some way which is like the weird lesson as astrologers that we kind of get battered into our heads over and over again on a long enough timeline but it's still even after years hard sometimes not to follow that internal compulsion and and to listen to it Mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes you just convince yourself that like no, this is what the compulsion is. Like, this right. is what I'm supposed to be doing because yeah, yeah. astrology. Right. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I do it a lot. You're like, well, there's many different ways that archetype can manifest. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's very constructive <laughs> ways that this can work out. And then it just yeah. goes terribly. And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'm thinking about the other night. I was like up until like 4 a.m. or something. It was the Venus Uranus square. Mm. My Mars is at 22 Scorpio. So. They're both at 22, um, Leo and Taurus, just aspect of my Mars. And I've come to notice that every time I have an exact aspect to my natal Mars, which is in Scorpio in my ninth house, mm-hmm. um, I get this like insane compulsion to book travel. Mm. And so at like 3 a.m. <laughs> the other night, I just, I was like, well, I'm having this Venus Uranus square my Mars. Like it's definitely the perfect time to just book an entire trip to Portland. So I did (laughs) at like 3 a.m. And Mars also rules my second house. So it's always like spending money on travel. Mm. And I always have these like intense compulsions to do it. Um, But it was actually me talking myself down from booking a bunch of other trips. And I said, okay, I'll just do Portland. (laughs) So that was me like, yeah, living out that Uranus transit, spontaneous travel planning i guess yeah i love that i've seen a lot of people where the venus retrogrades hitting their ninth house somehow or like going through their ninth house like doing travel things yeah or either either traveling on that or like doing a spontaneous international travel mm-hmm. or saw another person that was like having a long distance relationship with with a boy a boyfriend that like moved to a different state 
and and so they were having like a summer apart but would like visit each other mm -hmm. um that's kind of interesting how venus retrogrades can work out with the ninth house yeah that makes sense yeah i have a friend um aquarius rising what is does aquarius yeah libra ninth house right and um, then yeah yeah and then taurus fourth house so she's a she's a leo and her partner is a leo too and they, she just got a new job in Amsterdam. So they, like June 20th, just moved to Amsterdam. Wow. Um, and I was like, wow, that's so, you know, Venus retrograde in your seventh house moves with her partner. Um, and yeah, fourth house, ninth house ruler being retrograde in the seventh. And they moved across the world, basically. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And then I think the partner, I forget, I forget their rising but there's something like their ninth house saturn return yeah so i guess cancer rising no yeah cancer rising mm -hmm. ninth house pisces um saturn return and saturn rules the seventh house of partnership they're moving to another country with their partner um at the beginning of their saturn return so yeah the astrology there worked so out. they were what what are the placements again so uh, my friend ashley she's a leo okay. seventh house um, and yeah, Venus ruling her fourth and ninth being retrograde. And then her partner, Noah is a, um, cancer rising. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at, um, the ruler of his seventh house being, um, Saturn in Pisces in their ninth house. So mm -hmm. just like the ninth house, like moving to another country with a partner right. theme being really loud. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting how the different factors come into play. And I, I feel like this is the first, one of the first Venus retrogrades where I feel like I get it and like I see finally how it all works together mm -hmm. um, and that it's very complex and multi-layered, but also very beautiful and, and somewhat simple and elegant the way that it, that it plays out. Yeah. I mean, just like the Barbie movie stuff is like right. so wild. The yeah. bright pinks, like... Hot, yeah. hot pink, yeah, yeah, like literally, like Venus station retrograde in Leo, and all of a sudden, like hot pink. Hot, is, everyone's wearing hot pink. Yeah, that's pretty. Which is like was funny because like one of the keywords before that month, and one of the forecast views was like loud. Yeah, Leo is like a loud sign. Exactly, and that's like the loudest colors. Like, yeah, like, hot, hot pink. It is so cool, and then yeah, just being Venus and how Barbie just ties into the Venus and Leo cycle. Um, yeah, that's fun for the history books. It's like hard to get over how clear that is. Yeah, I forgot to mention in like the episode I just did, but I found this other thing where somebody pointed out that there was a documentary that came out in 2018, but they were chronicling um, a period in 2015 where the Barbie, the people that worked there were trying to do like a, a makeover or like a rebranding mm. of the entire thing in order to do different sizes and shapes of Barbie and like be more inclusive. And it was like this whole major thing that happened in 2015. Wow. And then they eventually launched, I think later that year or something, which was outside of the retrograde. But most of this documentary was filmed in 2015 while they were like going through that process. That's so cool. Yeah. So this is the like Venus return of that, I mm -hmm. guess. And yeah, the documentary is called Tiny Shoulders. It's on mm -hmm. Hulu. That's cool. I'm yeah. going to check that out. Um, and then we've had all this like celebrity drama too, like yeah. one after another it's, breakups, drama. It's been this, they're calling it like the summer of breakups. Yeah. And I think it's really funny. Like somebody just sent me like two articles on like people 
And somebody else sent me one on like BuzzFeed of like 30 couples that have broken up this summer wow. or something like that. But in such a, it's such a Venus Uranus square yeah. <laughs> um, thing. Yeah. Especially thinking about the last one being with Venus with Jupiter, trine Uranus. And now it's like right. just squares. Yeah. yeah. And that's something you had this more of like an affirmation of like relationships mm -hmm. with like same sex marriage being legalized and like so many um, gay and lesbian couples that got married. There was like a huge uptick yeah. that summer. Um, but then, yeah, this summer is the summer of, of breakups. Yeah. I was just, I'm like so happy I'm single, honestly. <laughs> Never been happier to be single because I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I, I realized astronomically in the last episode, something I'd never realized before, but it, like the breakup part of Venus retrograde when that does happen, which is like not always, but it's definitely a component. But I think it's because of the astronomical movement. Because if you think about it, when Venus is retrograde um, and they form that conjunction or that Kazemi in the middle of the retrograde, they're moving in opposite, Venus and the Sun are mm -hmm. moving in opposite directions. They meet up, but then they're going opposite ways and then there's right. this like wrenching apart motion where they just like start speeding in different directions yeah. as fast as they can whereas you know on the other side of the conjunction when they're both direct and they can join when venus is moving direct they um start moving together in unison at like the same speed mm -hmm. for a period of time so it's like two people in a relationship that's literally what they do is they like move forward in life together for a period of time um, just yeah. together. Wow. I love that. I love thinking about it that way. Yeah. I wonder when, do you know what the next Kazemi is going to be? Like what sign? Um, oh, it's Gemini. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I think it's um early June. Cause it's, I think the same day as the Jupiter, there's a Mercury Jupiter conjunction in early Gemini. Hmm. Um, yeah. I okay. was looking at that. that yeah. So I'll have it sense. at mid Gemini, I think like 14 degrees. Okay. Um, yeah, I, think, I love that. I think that makes sense because that's also that'll be four years from the one in twenty twenty, right. so that'll be like the halfway point between the Venus retrogrades and Gemini. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I love thinking about it that way. Yeah, it just reminded me that there's a lot of the things that we see in astrology ultimately just go back to very fundamental astronomical things that we don't think of, but that that's what's underlying almost mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what were some of the other crazy things? There's like so much like the Twitter, oh my God. Twitter rebrand. Twitter rebranding that literally- <laughs> We're never calling it X. <laughs> no. When it, it literally happened like right on the Venus retrograde yeah. when it was stationing, that was when he first unveiled that he was rebranding it. Yeah. It was just like so crazy and so literal. And then I think it was SJ that tweeted like, Astrologers often say that X's come back during Venus retrograde. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that whole thing. And he did that because I went back and looked, and he first um, like registered the domain X.com and did some of the first stuff with it during 1999. So oh. it was that Venus retrograde of 1999. Oh my gosh. Was, so literally, X is coming back. This is him <laughs> and his like long standing attempts to brand his companies with X as well as his children for that matter, yeah. like coming back again. Wow. Yeah. That is, what a, what a, what a man. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Twitter stuff's been weird. There, And then there's just been all of this celebrity drama. Like, yeah, I was thinking even as far back when um, 
Mars was in Leo with Venus. We had the whole Colleen Ballinger thing. Yeah, that was crazy. That was like a major cancellation. Yeah. And that was like in the shadow and the buildup, mm-hmm. but that was totally Venus retrograde. Yeah. And I remember Austin often talking about um, Venus, Mars co-presence or conjunctions having a lot to do with scandal, especially like sexual scandal or weird things like that. So that is, I mean, she was accused of like grooming kids and like all of this stuff. And that just felt so loudly. And she's like currently on tour right now too, like doing performances. Um, That one. And then this whole Lizzo controversy. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. Cause it was also, it's also something about like, I've been learning so much about Venus retrogrades, just watching all these like scandals and stuff break, but it was something about also people's cause Venus changes sides during the retrograde. Mm -hmm. And there's sometimes just something about like people's opinions. Cause Nick, you know, Nick Dagan best, has long used that thing, like challenging consensus right. is his keyword for Venus retrograde. But I, th- I was thinking this summer that sometimes it's like changing consensus where the consensus about like a person or a celebrity changes right. sometimes. And in, in, in that instance, sometimes for some people at least goes from like good to bad or mm-hmm. from bad to good. Right. Cause there's even positive ones like Greta Gerwig, for example, was more of an indie director for most of her career, but now it's like she's a household name yeah. almost virtually overnight. That's true. And, and doesn't she have Venus and Leo or something? Um, she, well, she was born August 4th or 3rd, 1983. Okay. So she was born the day that Venus stationed retrograde in Virgo, okay. and then it would retrograde back into Leo, um, wow. which is just crazy that she was literally born the day Venus stationed retrograde, and then in eight-year increments, like she yeah. released what will probably be her biggest movie on the day Venus stationed retrograde. So it's an exact repetition of her natal Venus retrograde mm-hmm. placement. That is so beautiful. <laughs> it's just so cool that, that that can happen. That can work out that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Venus stuff has been, it's, I think, yeah, the one in, most recent memory that has just been this loud and clear like right. the one in capricorn we did it was really sad because <laughs> yeah station conjunct pluto right and so right. we lost a lot of these like really important figures um but yeah this one has just been so uh, of course like the strikes too yeah like the actor strikes yeah right yeah that and, too and writer strikes mm-hmm. um yeah that was crazy I mean, and with Lizzo, that's still ongoing. Yeah. But, but it's also tricky because then it's like people that didn't like her for stupid reasons are trying to jump on it to amplify it. Mm-hmm. So it's like hard to know what's going on there. Yeah. And, and then the two of the dancers who have come out um, in this lawsuit, like did a TMZ interview with oh, their right. lawyer. And I think that also changed a lot of people's opinions about the whole situation into like thinking it that they were actually in the wrong. Like, it's just been so, yeah, a lot of flip-flopping and the changing consensus, yeah, social consensus especially. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And and also, because one of the recurring themes is sometimes people that people thought were good, suddenly people start thinking that they're bad Mm -hmm. for either valid or invalid reasons. But regardless of whether it's valid or invalid, there's some sort of like shift. Ariana Grande. Yeah, that was a huge one. That one's really big. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, I mean, for people that aren't keeping up, I guess it was just that. (laughs) Who aren't chronically online like us. (laughs) Right, like us. (laughs) Twitter or X. Yeah, X. Yeah. Um, Um, So she, it's like, 
there was a guy that was married and she was doing a play or something with him. And then, Wicked, yeah, okay. I think they're filming. I don't know if they're filming. I don't know if they're doing the movie or if it's the play. I okay. honestly don't remember, but yeah, they're filming Wicked or doing Wicked. Um, and the guy who plays, I don't know what he plays, but he used to be SpongeBob. People called him SpongeBob a lot because <laughs> he played SpongeBob on Broadway. Okay. Um, but they were having an affair. Yeah. Right. That's what it seems like. Both married. And the oh, guy. Yeah, she was too. Okay. She, was, she just filed for, one of them filed for divorce right at the beginning of all this coming out. But he has like a six month old baby or something. Like, yeah, they just had a baby within the past year. Right. Yeah. So that was like scandalous because then it seemed like they both like left their marriages in order to get into this other thing. Mm -hmm. And that seems like another one of the other like crossing over things. Cause that's, you know, that's kind of what happened with Brad and Angelina as mm -hmm. well. It's like he was married to Jennifer Aniston and then right. did this movie with Angelina Jolie. And then at some point, probably around the time of that Venus retrograde, they got together. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder when they broke up, Angelina and Brad. There was something about that where I think because Patrick mentioned on the Venus retrograde episode, but I think um, it was like eight years later because they didn't get married or something until like a long time later. Mm -hmm. And then they finally did when that Venus retrograde repeated or something mm -hmm. like that, or they got engaged finally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure when they broke up. Um, so yeah, they're Ariana Grande. And that was another one where it was like people went from largely having a largely like favorable view of her to all of a sudden it seemed like there was a shift where people were were like not liking her or yeah. because of this thing that seemed like a scandal yeah there is this um quote from the woman whose um husband she's not with i guess um she was saying she's just not a girl's girl and everyone right. was like going crazy over that because it's like wow imagine being called like not a girl's girl during the summer of Barbie. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's also just so like, yeah, we miss retrograde. And somebody was just like, that's like the most devastating thing you can say yeah. about <laughs> somebody. And yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I started writing down because there's like so many good news stories that I started writing down keywords for the Venus retrograde that I was seeing. Um, like divorce. <laughs> yeah, divorce. There's so many divorces. Even just even like Justin Trudeau, like the the. Oh, I didn't see. Oh, yeah, that's right. And because conservatives are like calling him gay because he <laughs> went to see Barbie with his son. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, and wore pink. Um, yeah, Justin Trudeau. I think Natalie Portman after right. eleven years. Natalie Portman. Um, uh, Sandra Bullock. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, like wow. that was amazing. Except one of them, Sandra, I think, was actually really sad and tragic that her husband like passed away oh. of like cancer or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Natalie Portman. There's so many others. There's literally like thirty. Yeah. <laughs> at least other, and this is just like we're seeing this as like celebrities. Right. And it's possible that's part of Leo as well. I know. I thought I heard somebody say at one point that there's like a visibility thing, mm -hmm. just because it's so visible. So maybe it's indicative of people that are more visible. Um, I, I know a Leo with the Libra rising who is going through an, a divorce right now. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely a lot of that happening. Um, yeah. What was my some of the ones I was writing out when I was seeing some of the Ariana Grande and one of the other ones was like messy breakups mm -hmm. is like a major keyword I was seeing for this one. Also airing one's dirty laundry in mm -hmm. public, um, lurid details coming to light, 
unions that others disprove of, hmm. um, scandalous relationships. Um, one that I, somebody used the term like vixen, which I had to like look up what it actually meant, and it was actually weirdly appropriate in hmm. some of the stories, at least. Um, oh yeah, Doja Cat's another one that people are like upset with and upset with who she's dating and that how was, she's talking about her like her fans basically. Yeah, that one was amazing because that was in her eleventh house oh. that Venus stationed retrograde. We actually have a time chart for her, um, and so yeah, Virgo. So she's she's Libra rising, yeah, I believe. That makes sense. She um, looks like one. She definitely looks like a Libra rising to me. Yeah, and her name is Doja Cat. I'm like, oh, another cat thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's so much. Yeah, it's that one's interesting because um, the Leo aspect of yeah, like visibility mm-hmm. and like your fans, your supporters, and the whole parasocial relationships that I'm sure like we've experienced on like such a small scale. I'm sure compared to someone like her, right? Because um, that was her thing, and she was pushing back and being like, she her fans were taking it as that she was dissing her fans right. and that she was telling them, I don't care about you and stop, you know, get a job or something. If you're following me all the time and, and spending your life focused on me or something like that. Yeah. But then her fans were like, no, like apologize to us or like, we're the reason why you're doing what right. like, don't tell us to get a job when we're the reason that you, you have, have a job, job at all. Um, and so it's like, and she was like, "No, I don't. I don't know you. Like, I'm not going to apologize or anything like that." Right. And she was really defiant about it. But it was interesting because, yeah, there are both of those sides. Because I'm sure she's just feeling overwhelmed by all of it. Yeah. Um, she's and, like, "You don't have to like it." She was saying stuff like, "I don't like all the like every single song I like. Like, I like. I don't like the artist necessarily. Like, you don't have to like me to listen to my music or to be a fan." Mm-hmm. And and um, yeah, people. I mean, it's it's interesting because yeah, there's the other side of like not a lot of celebrities would do that. <laughs> no, when she ended up doing it, like right before it turned out, she dropped like a new single, like a, a week or two mm. before, and tons of her fan pages like closed. A bunch of her fan pages closed down, and I saw like stats of just like thousands and thousands of people wow. unfollowing her on social media after she did that because a lot of the fans were just like irate that she seem to not really value them at all or something. Mm-hmm. And also dating someone that people don't like her dating. I don't really know who he is, but apparently he's similar thing with the like Taylor Swift, Matt Healy thing, how he was caught saying like, you know, racist or inappropriate stuff. I think it's a similar situation where she's dating somewhere where people feel like you shouldn't be dating him. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, I couldn't tell how much of it was connected if like, she was getting hate for that earlier, and then that's part of what led to the backlash she had against her fans, mm-hmm. or if it was like separate or, or what. Probably a mix. Yeah, probably a mix. Yeah. It probably is related. Um, well, that was just interesting, though, because it gave me insight thinking about the 11th house, just traditionally like friends, but for her, it seemed like it was her fans, mm-hmm. and that was kind of an interesting way to look at it that I hadn't thought of before, because the 11th is supposed to be like your supporters or people that support you or allies. Mm -hmm. And in her instance, that literally means like her fan base. Yeah. It always reminds me of, as I think Austin often uses um, Kurt Cobain as like a good 11th house example. What was his? I forget. Jupiter in the 11th. Jupiter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, And cancer. Right. Um, And of course, like people are still wearing his face on t-shirts. 
to this day. Yeah. When they, and he started a band with his high school mm. friend, Chris Novoselic, and then achieved success with them. Yeah. Um, Steve Jobs was also a Jupiter. Just think, trying to think of the charts. Steve Jobs is also a Jupiter. I used him an exam, as an example of Jupiter in the 11th house. And it was him getting together with Steve Wozniak. And Steve Jobs was like the promo guy and mm. the visionary. And Wozniak was like the tech guy that built all the early apples. It. And it was through that that they became like wildly successful together. Yeah. The, I mean, Jupiter in the 11th, I always love seeing it in a chart. So I'm like, oh, like friends in high places. Or like there's people that can and will support you mm -hmm. um yeah that's part of why i made my membership called jove's house um it was the 11th house before but jove is in j-o-v-e mm -hmm. jupiter the an alternative name for for zeus and jupiter right exactly yeah nice. yeah. yeah a place for connecting connecting and making friends and yeah yeah, well, it's, not, it's interesting to think of it also as Jupiter is just sometimes where we have good fortune or where those people, wherever you have your Jupiter is sometimes a place where you have inexplicable, just like good luck. Um, like I was watching an interview with Harrison Ford recently and he was just talking about his career and he has Jupiter in Cancer in the 10th house and he was like, I just got incredibly lucky and he's like, I've been always been very fortunate in my career. And it wasn't always that way. Like it could have gone south for me, like very easily. But I just happened to be in the right place at the mm -hmm. right time. Mm -hmm. um, or I've seen other people. There's a couple of charts I was looking at recently where they had Jupiter in the eighth house, and they just had a knack of being given money by other people, mm -hmm. um, and in in a very weird unique way where most people don't have that. But for some reason, part of the life stories of these people was being very fortunate of just like being given money by other people whenever they needed it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I remember having a client with like a bunch of eighth house, including I think one or both benefics. And yeah, they were like, yeah, I've been like, you know, homeless for a long time, but like, I just have people like really great people in my life who like, let me stay with them or have a place, you know, I've just been able to kind of get by mm -hmm. just through my relationships. And I just have good people who like to take care of me. And I'm like, makes sense with all that eighth house. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's really funny. Oh, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if I can ask you personally, but because <laughs> you were talking about Jupiter and where you can find, you know, sort of luck. And I'm curious, you have Jupiter in the 12th, right? Yeah. How does, how does that show up? Um, I don't know. It's really complicated. <laughs> yeah, because it's yeah in Capricorn, right? Yeah, it's in Capricorn, but then it's like my Mars and day charts there. Right. So I have the most positive planet and the most negative planet right. in the twelfth house. And I think sometimes it just has to do with like people I don't get along with um, as a twelfth house thing, and that sometimes I have great conflicts with some people or hardships that involve people I don't get along with mm -hmm. for different reasons, but in other instances, sometimes positive things result from those conflicts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Without like bringing all that up again, but just some yeah. of this stuff in the past year has made me understand that a little bit better mm -hmm. and stuff as well. Yeah. Like Jupiter providing the buffer, like the overall, like in the end, it's going to kind of work out. Yeah, and and also that there's like a counteraction, so that sometimes even if something really bad happens, like sometimes there's something that's a that saves it, so that's not like the worst case scenario, or there's a saving grace somehow. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. From one debilitated Jupiter to another. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. What are some of the other, I'm just looking, you know, another one that was really funny, the Venus retrograde one was like the weekend. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was like a major one. Cause I, you know, he had the, the idol came out and it was just like universally. Did you watch it? I, I watched the first episode after awesome. I was like talking about it being just a great example of, of mm-hmm. things going bad. And I watched the first episode and it was like, okay, but everyone tells me it goes like very yeah. down, downhill from there. So I'm going to go back to watch it just for like research purposes for Venus retrograde. Because what I found out later is um, eight years ago in 20, summer of 2015 was when his single, I Can't Feel My Face come out, mm. came out. And I feel like that was like that and that year in general was when he really Came, became like Ugh, this huge yeah. superstar and so it's interesting because eight years later it's almost like like the uh, there's a reversal so there's an inversion of it where he was going up one venus retrograde but also there was almost like a at, least, at the very least a speed bumper going down during this one yeah yeah did you watch it i watched like the first maybe two or three episodes okay and yeah i just it's just you laugh at it yeah well yeah <laughs> that, that's what i didn't understand is like i was watching the first one and i was like are they is he, are they trying to make him look yeah. creepy or like, is he supposed to, or is that accidental or is that deliberate? Cause yeah. he's, he's not coming off good, but it's almost like they're trying to make him mysterious, but it's not working. Is that, <laughs> was I picking up on that right? I, or? Think so. I mean, I think he's supposed to be like a bad guy, you know, okay. like, but like, you know, she's falling for him, seduction, blah, blah, blah. but okay. I don't think they did a good enough job of making him an appealing enough bad guy. Like, Right. He just does like, seem creepy, I think, to everyone. Yeah. It's like, because I was looking at both of their charts, because it's interesting. We have his chart, and he's, um, was it, is it Cancer Rising with the Moon and Scorpio conjunct Pluto oh. um, in the fifth house? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it, it actually explains a lot of stuff. But then um, I didn't realize that Lily Rose Depp was like the, the star of yeah. the series. And we have a chart for her, and she's actually Scorpio rising. So oh. that's really interesting because Venus, this Venus retrograded then is in her 10th house of okay. like career and reputation. And it's it's kind of sucks because on the one hand, she should be getting a lot of accolades. She was the head of like a major series right. and like collaboration and everything, but then it wasn't received well. So it's kind of like a not great yeah 10th house thing thing i remember hearing rumors about her on set before this came out about how like terrible she was like okay. i just remember people saying you know she just was throwing a lot of fits and just acting you know kind of bratty i guess again i don't know just stuff i heard mm. but um yeah i think a big part of it i think the discussion was just around like nepotism because she hasn't really done anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She just kind of like got this role. Um, I mean, she's done stuff, but. Yeah, yeah. I saw her in like one role in that Timothy Chalmay movie. I think it was called The King, and that she was pretty good in, but she was in there very briefly. Mm, just, yeah. yeah. Do we know her, where her Mars is? Um, I can't remember offhand. Okay. I could look it up really quickly. That's right. I was in just terms curious. of being. Maybe Leo, but I, that could be wrong. Leo. It, like she looks like she could be ruled by Mars and Leo, but right, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was interesting. The inversions thing that sometimes it is a repetition with a topic, but it can be like going the opposite yeah. direction from what it was before. That's um, like important to to think about. I think yeah, I for sure. Um, so that was the weekend. Like, who else do we have? I mean, um. 
Yeah, a lot of those actually are the major ones. Honestly, some of the other significations I'd written down were um, hot pink, loud, glitter bomb. Mm. Um, that was like Greta Gerwig said. That was part of her like th- theory going into it is that she would have essentially this like glitter bomb that would be loud and and pretty to look at and everything else. But then underlying that were some really deep themes mm. that she wanted to like include in the movie. And I, I thought that her. it was funny that she described it as like a glitter bomb, yeah. which is very like Venus retrograde in Leo. Yeah. Um, play dramatic throwback. There's a lot of like throwback mm-hmm. themes I've been seeing. Even like Barbie herself was a throwback. Um, practical effects in movies, like both Barbie as well as Oppenheimer, really emphasize like practical effects, which mm-hmm. is itself kind of a, like a throwback to earlier times. Yeah, that's that's true. There wasn't a lot of like. Even thinking about the scene in Barbie where they're going from like Barbie land to the real world. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was very like almost, uh, what's the, what am, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Wes Anderson esque almost. Exactly. Cause it's not CGI. They yeah. like built those actual practical sets and they had like a rotating, like, um, you know, floor or whatever right. that made it look like they were driving. I love that. Yeah. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah. So something about that, like throwbacks and like retro type things. Mm-hmm. Other keywords, infidelity, homewrecker, um, battle of the sexes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always happening. <laughs> That's true. Um, rebranding, fashionable beach. Austin, mm. Austin said bodybuilder aesthetic. Mm. Um, admitting one's flaws, embracing one's flaws. Uh, I saw somebody use the term like degenerate for like <laughs> one of the ones of in terms of like things coming out and then having an estimation of somebody that was not good mm. change of heart i think is a major one and i think that has to do with the kazemi yeah. and that crossing over motion that literally goes across the sun and that's what kazemi means is like in the heart of the sun mm-hmm. and symbolically or astronomically and then symbolically sometimes people have a change of heart about other people or other things yeah especially with being in Leo having to do with the heart. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's big in, that I underestimated, but since it's stationed at 28, that was like right on or very close to Regulus. And I think that mm-hmm. was like playing a major role as well with Regulus being the heart of the lion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that either. Yeah. It's a big one. Yeah. What's, what's our next one? Scorpio or Aries? It's Aries. Is it? Okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Eight. So it'll be in 24 or 25? I think it's 24. Think. Or maybe it's 25. I don't No, Yeah. It has to be 25 because this is 2023. <laughs> right. We get Mars at the end of 24 and then okay. Venus in the beginning of 25. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And that'll be a repetition then of 2018. Yeah. If I'm doing it, has or, to be. Oh no, 2018 no, no. with Scorpio. Yeah, okay. So it would have been 2016, I guess. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that Scorpio one. That was like the Brett Kavanaugh trial. Right. That was so, yeah. That yeah. was heavy. That, I mean, that's a really good example of a lot of themes we're talking about mm-hmm. here that like came out during that, those hearings um, and hearing about his past and like people coming forward and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was intense. Yeah. Well, that and that is similar to um, Nick talks about 
and, and Patrick have talked about um, 1991, the Nita Hill hearings, mm-hmm. and that was a Venus retrograde in, in Leo, right. um, and, and all this stuff that came out with that and, and about him, but then it didn't end up like changing. And now all the stuff's coming out about him and like how he's 100% bought and paid for. <laughs> right. And yet nothing's happening still. Yeah. And it's like his wife was involved in like the January yeah. 6th like insurrection stuff. And like it's just crazy True to think American about. Traitors. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy to think about that that could have been stopped yeah. by this woman that came forward and like told the truth like way back then at the beginning, but that people didn't believe her or didn't right. take it seriously enough. And I was reading something. Like some Wikipedia page or some reference to, that said that the Anita Hill hearings were part of what started third wave feminism, mm-hmm. and I don't know enough about the topic, I want, but I want to look into that more to see if that's true, that it was a contributing factor somehow. That would be really fascinating if it was just because of the tie-in with that Venus retrograde. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Wow, I can't believe that happened when I like the year I was born. Right. <laughs> and he's still on the court and still, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it really I guess it goes to show it's like sometimes good things come out of the Venus retrograde, sometimes not good things come out, but it definitely stirs up like a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, socially, like how we're relating to each other and all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, trying to think of any other Venus retrograde insights. You got anything else? Or have you s- seen any other like friends or like house placement activation things? I'm having a weird thing happening with my mail right now. Okay. <laughs> Venus rules my sixth. Oh, sorry, my third. <clears throat> and um, I got this cryptic thing in my mail two days ago, and it was like a note written on an on an envelope. That was like sealed, but had nothing in it. And it just said like, I'm waiting at the top for you. Like, look behind you, mail thief. Oh my God. (laughs) And I was, it was like nighttime when I went and checked my mail. There's nothing else in it. And so I started kind of investigating. This happened the day before yesterday. So I was, I left today. So I only had like yesterday to kind of look into it. And I asked a neighbor about it. And he's like, well, someone's been stealing packages maybe this is supposed to be a warning for like the male thief. And he's like, well, maybe they think it's you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hope they don't think it's me. Right. And so I, I texted another neighbor and yeah, they let me know like, yeah, there's been this guy coming and like stealing packages and stealing from the mail. And we kind of have some video of him, but the police won't do anything. And I don't know, it just feels very like ruler of my third, ruler of my eighth, <laughs> retrograde yeah. of my six house of enemies. And yeah and neighbors like yeah neighbors the, the way exactly. that like that because that seems like such a blow-off signification sometimes when you see lists and it comes to the third house and it mm-hmm. says like neighbors but like sometimes that can be a really important oh, it's a loud component. one for me i so my third house is taurus mm-hmm. my old um there used to be a girl who lived across the hall from me who was a taurus almost i think we had each other's half birthday so literally like opposite <laughs> across the hall from me and um, she was a fashion designer. And the ruler of my third house is Venus and Libra too. So I do have these sort of like Venusian neighbors, I guess. She's gorgeous. Um, and she ended up moving out the day that Venus stationed retrograde in Capricorn. And it's stationed on her midheaven. And she was moving because she like was tr- trying out a new career and like wanted to save money and move back in with her parents. But 
Yeah, the neighbors thing is definitely very loud for me when it comes to being oh, the third house. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So that's a really good demonstration of the um how the house that Venus rules sometimes just gets activated when mm-hmm. Venus goes retrograde. And and also the weird interrelationship between different people's charts and how they like interlock in different different ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, because my partner in this app he's a Scorpio rising. So this is happening in his 10th house and, you know, Venus rules his seventh house and there's all this like relational stuff happening around, you know, who's working on the app and bringing on new people. And um, of course me bringing me on permanently uh, for him was very much like a ruler of the seventh in the 10th house thing too. So, right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other topics we wrote down. Um, you mentioned doing chart readings and being a pro astrologer in 2023. Yeah. How are those coming up for you recently? <laughs> I feel like it's such a weird, I don't know, the landscape seems like it's just constantly changing. It doesn't right. feel very consistent at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, seeing the downfall suddenly of Twitter over the past year and like how fast that has, has been a real big wake up, I think, yeah. and shake up to a, a lot of us that some of these platforms won't be around forever, even if you just assume they will. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it is such a weird time. I'm like, what does it look like? I mean, I, I've had so many different type of jobs within the field mm-hmm. just over the past, I don't know, seven years or so, eight years since I kicked off. Right. Cause but, you've, it's like you've had, um, you've run like online conferences and webinars, like yeah. major ones for a while. Um, you've done a podcast and a YouTube channel. Like what you've done a ton of stuff. I had like, a magazine for oh, a while. Oh, yeah. In, in Flux. That was a really good magazine. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I did that. That was um, really well designed. I saw somebody like a few years ago being like, you know, I wish there was just a really well designed like magazine. And like what they described was like literally like your yeah. magazine. I wish I could keep doing it. I mean, yeah. I, I decided to stop trying to self-fund my own own projects it's like not in this economy um but yeah i did that i i wrote for quite a few different apps and i had my own app uh cusp for a while and um yeah i've just done so many different things wrote wrote horoscopes and um so yeah i don't know i don't even know what i was thinking about talking about about that but just i guess thinking about how um there's so many different sort of ways to work in Mm -hmm. the field yeah um and it just yeah i don't know i'm just thinking about how the landscape just seems to be changing so much and like right now i'm really only doing readings and i only do like 12 readings a month um and this app and then every now and then i'll get hit up for something random like um a brand asked me to do like mini readings for like a little brand trip they were doing at this hotel so like stuff like that but um yeah there's i always think about the people who like hate doing readings or don't want to do readings Mm. and but want to be professional astrologers and um just like how to navigate that basically how to navigate like people that hate it. Like I, I haven't been doing readings in like a number of years because the podcast has takes up all my time. Right. It's become my full-time job. And I def I miss doing readings like a little bit. There's a part of me that's definitely 
glad because it's um it's draining it's very draining like for yeah. me especially there's some people like Rick Levine that are like energized yeah. by doing readings and <laughs> yeah. I, I can do like 10 readings in a day and then go out and go to the yeah. gym or something like that yeah. and I always uh admired that but it was always not me I could only do one or like two a day tops because it was very draining mm-hmm. yeah that, I don't do more than two okay I do like I, I pretty much at this point just do two weeks um, a month and I'll do like six a week and I'll alternate like two one day, one another day, two one day, mm-hmm. something like that. But um, I remember there was a time I was doing like in 2018, 2019, I was doing sometimes like six a day Wow! and there would be like 45 minute readings, kind of shorter ones, but I, it was before I figured out how to like do acuity. So they were, they would schedule back to back Oh wow! and I would just sit there for like six hours, seven hours, just doing readings. And I can't believe I ever did that, Yeah, but yeah, it's, um, I, I, I had a, I had a, a psychic tell me like, I think the beginning of last year or beginning of this year, maybe she was like, don't do more than, she's like, you should not be doing more than 10 readings a month, but definitely not more than 15 and I, my my brain i'm planning on doing 30 to like you know make things work financially and she's like don't do that <laughs> and so i haven't i've taken her advice and i'm glad i i did but yeah because i couldn't imagine i mean i was doing it before and it is so draining and i think i am one of those people who gets energy from doing readings and like i really do enjoy it but um it will take a lot out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, and you learn a lot as an astrologer, and there's something enjoyable about seeing, because that's one of the things going into, I think, every astrologer's experience of like, you don't know the person, you're going in blind, all you have is a chart, which is like a 2D representation. And there's like always something in the back of your mind as like a modern person in the 21st century is you're like, is this going to work this time? Yeah. Like, is it this is such a weird thing still, like even after doing it for 20 years, but then you sit down with the person and you just start talking about their chart. And then like magically you find out that their life experience actually perfectly matches mm-hmm. this, the alignment of the planets, the moment of their birth. And that's always such a cool realization. And also getting to see the unique way that different people live out the placements in a way that fits the archetype perfectly and yet is still unique to that person. Mm-hmm. It's such a cool experience that, um, yeah, I miss doing that to some extent. I was reminded last month when I did a Mercury Cafe thing and I was just like reading people's charts. Okay. But yeah, it's very draining. Yeah, whenever I take some time off, though, I do start to miss it. Mm. Yeah, because um, it's, it's something so special and magical about just like taking that time with someone and then just like what what they get out of what they get out of it is really cool because they off you know usually seem to find it really helpful but then um we get so much out of it too and it's just so i don't know enriching not even just feeling like you help someone but like you know looking at certain things you realize like oh this applies to me too you know or yeah it's always so enriching i I love it. I love all my clients so much. Like every reading, I'm just like, wow, I can't believe this person found me and like wanted me to read for them. Right. Um, I feel blessed in that regard. I think it may be Jupiter in the seventh, but I get I get good clients. Yeah, that definitely helps. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's so cool that you learn because that's the biggest secret is like every astrologer, every consultation they learn, they, they have, you learn something new each time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's so that it's not just valuable for the client, it's also actually valuable for the astrologer. And that becomes part of your um, sort of archive of just what different placements mean is that time that you talked to this person about their life and found out that this was the specific manifestation of the archetype that you already knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's always so cool because you'll be in the reading with someone and you'll just be like, yeah, isn't that wild how that works out that way? And their like, mind is blown and your mind is blown. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah, how have I been doing this for this long? It's still like so fun and exciting. It's it's such a cool field that we happen to land in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really always grateful to have found it in something and found something that is super interesting and that you're passionate about and can I kind of dedicate yourself to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so weird though. You know, I had um, Cam and Stella come through from the Mercuranians podcast mm -hmm. a couple months ago and they're, you know, in their 20s and. It's the the landscape of like how people learn astrology now is so different yeah. compared to to when I came up um, that it's kind of interesting thinking about like what it, it would be like to start you know with astrology fresh today and learn it and then attempt to make that transition into professional and like what that looks like. Yeah, I I don't know if you feel jealous about <laughs> the kids these days and like just their access to the tradition in yeah. particular. Not Dude. jealous, but like, you know, it, uh. it's cool. It's envy I'm envious because um, I think we probably had a similar, I think I had a similar route as you where, you know, I went very psychological or Scorpios. When did you start again? Um, 2012. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I really started to dive in around then. Um, and yeah, definitely was like, um, Stephen Arroyo was like huge for me. I still think he's one of the best writers we have out there in terms of like the psychological stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, dove deep at Mark Jones. Um, and then 2015 found astrology. I mean, I had the, I knew about the astrology podcast before, but you guys, you started doing it more regularly. Mm -hmm. And that's when, um, traditional and it was Saturn and, Sag, which is my 10th, which is where my Mercury is. Okay. And I remember just feeling like that Saturn transit to my Mercury was like, oh, it's finally making sense. Like it's coming together. There's a framework, there's a structure to all of this. And that's when I started learning traditional. Got it. Do you know what episode or like what time frame? It was in 2015. Cause I'm just thinking, yeah. thinking of course, about like that. That was the Venus retrograde that year. Oh, yeah. So that's really cool. I'm thinking, I know like the. Whole Sign Houses episode you did that probably was before 2015, but no, it was at the end it, of 2015. Okay, I mean, there might have been an earlier basic one, but the one that became the one I became known for was okay. late was 2015. I think that makes sense. I have a weird memory of like walking on the west side of Manhattan listening to it, right? Random um, when I was like first starting this job around that time. Although you're saying that you used the election that lease and I gave for the Leo mm -hmm. one over the summer of 2015, so that would have been around the Venus retrograde. Yeah, yeah. So that was when I decided to switch the whole sign hmm. from the episode because it. I think you were talking about like yeah, 
the whole sign transits and how that is like such a you can't really deny a whole sign transit when, when a planet enters a whole sign when it hits that house it's like really gonna affect the whole house regardless of the cusp mm. and i think i was thinking back to like yeah uranus entering aries which is my second house and other transits and i was just like yeah that makes sense and just my whole world opened up when i looked at my chart and whole sign houses and in placidus i have um well i have a venus moon opposition and it's in the first house seventh house in placidus but it moves to second and eighth and whole sign and that just made everything click for me mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess i started then and then i feel like it took i don't know like what that even looked like in terms of me diving into traditional i think i just was binging the podcast and like like things were starting to make sense just listening to the podcast a lot yeah well, that's really funny that that was eight years ago, and then like here we are today, yeah, like, yeah, in right. The studio, like on the astrology <laughs> podcast, on the basically day of the Sun Venus Kazemi. Yeah, it is really wild because I definitely there was so many moments where I was like, I'm going to be on this podcast one day. <laughs> right <laughs> here I am, the fourth time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I remember you as like one of the early like fans of the podcast because yeah. um, that was when I really t- started taking it more seriously and doing it more regularly was in 2015 um yeah yeah i remember when did you come to new york um and do that presentation on annual perfections um it must have been not too long after that like 2017 maybe yeah 2015 no it might have been in 2015 yeah yeah actually because i was just um thinking about that the other day and realized that that was connected that was very close to the venus retrograde okay um so yeah so that presentation that's cool then so you might have because yeah you were doing you weren't doing the dinners by then but you were in no, new york yeah i was in new york okay um i remember coming to that and i remember i asked a question at some point but <laughs> i think that was like june june ish of 2015 okay yeah yeah because yeah, that was I just remember learning that and like, again, mind blown. Um, and it's still like, I use that technique like on a regular basis. I mean, it's definitely like almost number one in the arsenal of mm-hmm. timing techniques. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, and then I feel like I went way deeper into like essential dignity um, over the past like five, four or five years. Um, that episode with Charles Obert was so good i love that one and i just that introduced me to him and his work um which i just really like his work i don't know something about the way he does he explains things does he have like a mercury and detriment or something or jupiter um i can't remember honestly yeah i feel like he has some sort of something that makes it easier for me as mercury jupiter detriment person Mm -hmm. um but yeah i feel like Essential dignity and sect became like such humongous parts of my pro- my um, practice in the past, like yeah, three four years, especially since the pandemic. Um, but yeah, that's like those are like bedrocks now, yeah. as opposed to like I don't even know what I was doing before. <laughs> now that I think about it, like what was I doing before I knew essential dignity? Right. I mean. Yeah, I guess just taking the qualities of the signs and yeah. sort of putting them together with the um, planets. 
Yeah. I just feel like I very much learned backwards. Mm. Like I just, I feel like, which makes sense. I've been like kind of learning astrology since my progressed Mercury stationed retrograde when I was like 10, 10, 11. And it just stationed direct about a year or two ago. Um, and so to me, I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense. I've been learning everything backwards because now I feel like I have such a well-rounded sort of like perspective on just the fundamentals of traditional astrology. Um, and I taught a course two years ago on that and it was, it was really great, but now I feel so much more solid than I like ever have been mm -hmm. on the fundamentals. Um, yeah. 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 Central dignity is great. And over the past few years, I've been getting it, it's funny how the basics, like you, everybody in astrology goes through this process of like, you know, you start with the basics and then you learn and you go through intermediate and advanced stuff. But then at some point, like everybody circles around and you come back to the basics mm -hmm. and um, have new realizations about what they mean and like how that works. And then you start like cycling back through intermediate and advanced stuff. Right. And it's like this continual cycle or process periodically throughout your career yeah that's very true yeah i feel like demetra's book um and that came out and i started to like kind of get back into the volume one that really like dove me deep back into like the basics and yeah i don't know it's so it's so weird <laughs> still like how excited you can get about the basics after so long yeah, well, I mean, even like we were just talking about like this Venus, something as simple as like a Venus retrograde and what that means, and then seeing all these examples this summer and just being so excited, seeing different unique manifestations of that that fit what you already know, but like mm -hmm. seeing new examples of it and that bringing you to a deeper understanding of what that actually means. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We are just like astrologers are so philosophical and like we're just, so obsessed with patterns. I almost feel like, obviously astrologer is the right word, but I almost feel like I wish people knew that's that's what we were doing more. Like like the empirical element? Yeah, the pattern. Mm -hmm. um, uh, pattern recognition. The, yeah, pattern recognition. And yeah, the empirical, like the just gathering data. Um, it's like pretty much like the bedrock of what we do, but I feel like the public doesn't, that's not what they think of when they think of an astrologer. Um, right. They which, think that yeah. we're like making it up or, or even new students of astrology sometimes think that you're you're going into it with just like 100% knowingness of like everything yeah. and all the details of astrology, which sometimes holds up people from making the transition to starting to do chart readings. It's like people assume that you have to be 100% like master of all of astrology before you start reading charts but that actually sometimes delays or hampers your your process mm -hmm. or growth because doing consultations you're learning like That's we how you get, told yeah. you yeah yeah i i'm actually really grateful i started when i did because i mean of course people were doing it but it felt like no one was doing it and i was just the weirdo at parties like reading everyone's charts and everyone's like what is that um but it definitely made it so i didn't have much shame around it you know mm. i was just i was reading everyone's chart like anyone who i who i met um so i think that's why i am at the level i'm at right now is because i was first three years was just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of looking at charts and just like talking to people about their lives and trying to 
draw those connections and make sense of everything um, with very like limited knowledge. But that's, that's kind of where you have to start. I think like, I always think I'm not so great at tarot. I don't feel as comfortable with tarot because I never had that phase where mm-hmm. I was like just reading people. Um, it's always just been like I took a class or I took a course and like I learned tarot with myself. But like having that interaction with other people is so important. Um, and then I started doing mini readings. Like that I think is how you get good at reading charts is like short rapid fire readings. yeah okay yeah because um you have to learn how to like what to identify and how to identify something and like to talk to them about it in 10-15 minutes um and most people especially at like a party at a, or an event they're not they're not like this is my big issue that i want to talk to talk to you about they're just like i don't know tell me something right and so I got really good at pinpointing, like asking the right questions and figuring out um, like how to make the most of a short period of time with someone, mm. which is why I'm, I became very hashtag no prep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so against chart prep and I'm not really against it because I think for some readings, like you have to have it obviously, but for the type of stuff I do, um, and I think what probably most of us are doing is just like talking to clients and mm-hmm. looking at their charts. It's like, you don't really need a prep for that. Yeah. The no prep, that would be a good whole topic. It's like the no prep chart consultation. And yeah. like, what do you say if you aren't, you, if you just walk into it blind and you cast the chart right there and you have to go, like, how do you identify the, the main things? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what I teach. And I did a program called Astrology That Hits. And I think I'll probably, I think I'm going to change my podcast name to that. Um, I don't know how I'm going to teach this again. That's what I'm currently trying to figure out. But um, essentially, it's like a no prep. <laughs> how to? It's it's my sort of way of teaching how to do consultations and read charts and synthesize all the information without, um, yeah, with more confidence and without feeling like you have to like prep everything. Because my thing is is like. Okay, say you take an hour to prep a, a chart before beforehand. It's like, what are you, <laughs> what are you putting in there? I mean, I guess you could write down the transits that are happening, and I think I also just have the type of brain that um, I pretty much know all the major transits that are happening over the next like six to twelve months in my brain. So I can look at a chart and see, oh, you have your moon at five Taurus. I know there's going to be an eclipse there, like. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it's so much more, it makes a lot more sense and you optimize your own time more if you're just getting straight to the point with the client and figuring out what they want mm-hmm. in the moment instead of like, yeah, thinking about all the potential things that they might want to talk about. Um, so yeah, I don't prep. I don't look at the chart until I'm like talking to them. Okay. Yeah. I, would like, I would like to do that because when I stopped doing consultations like years ago, um, I had gotten it down to like an hour of prep, and m- most of that was largely just because um, most of my consultations were very zodiac releasing yeah, yeah. focused. And part of my, because somebody was just asking me the other day, like a student was asking me, like, how do you do this in a consultation? Like, how do you actually approach using it? And what I told them was, like, what I would do in a consultation is I would take that hour, I would get a readout of the zodiac releasing periods from like Spirit and Eros and Fortune for career and uh, relationships and health. And then I would go through and write notes um, 
of like which ones were supposed to be peak periods, whether it was a major, a moderate, or a minor peak period, whether it was um, a loosening of the bond, so a transition point, um, or if it activated the ruler of spirit and there was something about the life's work, um, as well as noting like when a new major level one would begin, as well as identifying the angular triads and whether it was like the beginning, middle, or end of a phase, and just write out notes very concisely, but what I expected of the different periods. And then I would spend a good part of the consultation then talking through the person, through their chronology, and seeing how those notes of what I expected from the technique lined up against their actual life. Mm -hmm. And then most of the consultation then would be about this gradual process of like um, seeing how well it actually lined up and confirming that both for, for myself as well as the client. And then once you have an understanding of the context of the person's life and where they've gone up to that point, you can then project that in the future to make some predictions about what's coming up. Mm -hmm. um, and that approach necessitated more prep, but only because I was really highly specialized in using that technique. Yeah. Um, if I was not doing that or just doing more general reading or transits or something, then yeah, it would be nice to do just a, a no prep and go. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's. I've tried to do some ZR and readings before, and it's always messy because <laughs> I'm like, just let me just look at this real quick. And I have to like open up astro.com and put on the information again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like usually I, I tell people, I have people write just what they want to focus on in the thing, which doesn't even really matter that much anyway, because um, I have I have a formula now where at the beginning of every reading, I just confirm the birth info and then I just start asking questions. So the first yeah. 30 minutes are usually me just like, what, what are you doing for work right now? Like, mm -hmm. what what's your where do you live? Do you live with someone? Are you dating someone? All that just like basic kind of covering the four angles, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, health, whatever, and just see what's going on first and then. But sometimes it's like they won't put this in there, but in talking to them, they're like, "Yeah, I think I, I think I want to move too in the next like year." And you're like, "Okay, well, I'm seeing huge things for moving, so let's talk about that." Um, so yeah, that's why I don't do prep because I'm like, sometimes you don't know what the actual right reading is going to be. On. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like what they actually want to talk about, and if you spend a bunch of time working out like all this other stuff but then they want to focus on some other very specific area that's not that right yeah um yeah i guess i've been getting a taste for that like doing the mercury cafe venus retrograde readings last month and just casting the chart and then being like okay venus is retrograde in your um ninth house so and then that doing that there you have to develop this very fine-tuned method of describing the placement or the transit in broad enough and yet still like broad enough archetypal terms mm -hmm. and yet still specific enough that it's not just like you know doesn't mean anything but broad enough archetypally that that it can they can understand or see how it would match with whatever their actual specific situation is which they'll then explain and confirm in some way mm -hmm. but that that's a that's like a it's like a muscle that you have to like work out and like use in order for it to get better yeah and i think that's something that we as astrologers don't get enough credit for and don't give ourselves credit for enough is like how we're translators and mm. the labor it takes to not just translate like what's happening in the sky to like, you know, earthly events or personal events, but then to translate it into, 
English <laughs> or like a way that people can understand without using the astrology. Mm-hmm. That I think is the hardest part, honestly. Like it can yeah. end up being the hardest part. Um, it's great when you have a client who is also an astrology like student or lover and can just kind of be like, yeah, well, Saturn's in your 10th house and they kind of know what I mean. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, having to really like explain the archetype and um and words and terms that would make sense to someone i think that's like one of the most difficult parts of being an astrologer yeah for sure like how to explain it in non-jargony terms Mm -hmm. can be really tricky but really important to convey the message properly Um, yeah especially like when you're writing horoscopes too that's a big part of it um i think that people who want to write like start sooner or later working on that translating skill because mm. um it's just something you know we have to contend with is like the, if we want the general public to like engage with this at all mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to be able to translate it i yeah i'm you know i'm so glad you said that cuz i put off doing some of those things that like all astrologers do for so many years and i was like no i'm a i'm an advanced i'm going to do advanced astrology like for astrologers you know, fuck the public. I don't have to like <laughs> learn how to translate this because I want to do deep like mm-hmm. studies and treatments of this at high level. And if people don't understand the jargon, that's their problem. Uh, you know, which to a certain extent, you know, argue against me. Like that's kind of what the astrology podcast is to a certain extent, and mm-hmm. people do find that very insurmountable going in. But over the past decade, like by forcing myself in some instances to do those things I never thought I would do, like starting to do a monthly podcast or a month ahead forecast mm-hmm. series or a year ahead forecast or eventually doing rising sign horoscopes. I've learned the value of doing that both in order to learn how to to convey um, what astrology means to the general public that may not have a background, but also that you actually get so much better as an astrologer mm-hmm. when you force yourself to try to make statements and and dig deep in order to try to articulate the symbolism that you're seeing. And then you have the confirmation once you then live through it or the client lives through it and comes back and tells you what happened. Um, you learn like so much through that process of forcing yourself to do those things that you don't necessarily want to do as an astrologer. It ends up being really valuable in retrospect. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I found just through, especially writing, like writing horoscopes and um, sort of, I'm doing this app now and I am just hired a couple writers um, to write some of the like planetary placements, you know, your moons and Aries. This is what this means. And um, yeah, it's when I think about hiring people too, I'm like thinking about who can do that. Right. Um, not just who has like, the astro knowledge but who can like write it in a way where you don't have to mention the moon or the house or the sign and you can kind of speak to someone's experience um and it's hard it's like Mm. not easy which is why i don't do a lot of the writing (laughs) myself anymore my mercury just can't um it can but i I find it's like three times as hard for me (laughs) to do a lot of that stuff right um yeah but the translating piece i just think about how Mercury is, you know, planetary sort of symbol for astrologers and how a big part of what we do, we're, you know, observing, we're transcribing and communicating, but that communication is like translation. Um, 
and yeah, just how much of a, how much labor that involves that I think is very invisible labor that people don't really often take into account. Yeah, for example, for, for sure. That's like the hermetic or mercurial nature of astrology is the traditional ruler mm-hmm. and that Mercury was like, that's one of those key things is translating things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so horoscopes, it's actually worth doing like some of those things. Like yeah. it's worth doing horoscopes. It's worth attempting to do forecasts of, of some sort. Especially like that, if you want to make money in this field. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like that really is usually astrologers do it out of out of necessity or mm-hmm. something like that. And I was always nervous about getting locked into that just because I could see like when I was going to school at Kepler, me and Rick Levine, sometimes when people would fly out for a week to Seattle for lectures and present to present projects and papers and stuff, um, I would stay up in the student lounge late at night with like Rick Levine until two or three in the morning and we're like drinking wine and talking astrology. And then at some point he would be like, well, got to go write the daily horoscopes for tomorrow. <laughs> and he would check out and go write. And I was always just like, I do not want to have to do yeah. that at some point. So I was avoided it. But while I still would not do dailies or something like that, like that would be too much too for much. me. I'm just not suited to it. Maybe other people with different temperaments are, um, you know, forcing myself to do monthlies and yearlies has been really valuable. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I would never do dailies again. Um, I, I always say like I would have to pay like a full time salary, right? Like a hundred k. Well, that's the that's the scariest scenario. Is like sometimes you do get those people that then become really successful doing that, and then get, kind of get locked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, like Susan um, Miller. Yeah, that's the person yeah. I always think about because it's like Susan Miller, but then it's like. Becomes like one of the most successful writers of like dailies and short term like horoscopes of all time, but then develops this like fan base. You know, speaking of like Doja Cat, mm-hmm. th- this where there's this sometimes po- there's a positive but and supportive, and it's made her wildly successful. But then also, you know, sometimes she would get sick and she would like miss certain weeks due to health issues, right. and people like would would yell at her, yeah. would be like, "Where are you? Like, I don't care if you're sick. Like, get here and do our horoscopes." And that just seemed <laughs> so all- insane. Yeah, that's such a weird. Um, that's a tricky thing to get tied into. Yeah, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why I paused my podcast too. I was doing these weeklies, and I think just yeah, having to um, do it every week. I just felt like I couldn't sustain it like it's not very sustainable for me right. but i want to do it so bad but i i stopped because i'm like if i can't keep it up i don't know i don't want to keep going you know keep being inconsistent um but i think that's where i'm at right now and this venus retrograde figuring out what to do with my content game because i'm like i'm craving to make content but i'm afraid to start making content that has a lot to do with like you know, weeklies or dailies. Cause I don't think I, I know I can't keep it up. Um, so yeah, it's some people, I mean, Rick has his airy stellium that I think will always keep him. He's like energizer bunny, right? Yeah. Um, not all of us are blessed with never ending fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great thing though about astrology and like how vast the field is, is there's like something for everybody. There's mm-hmm. some way that if you really want to do this, professionally like you can make it work and you can adapt it to what your strengths or what your aptitude is yeah um but you have to wear many different hats as an astrologer like there's so many different things i never thought i'd have to learn or come to have at least some 
either specialization or ability to do as an astrologer. Right. You know, like we were talking about, like setting up the podcast and learning like video and yeah. audio and all that stuff. Yeah. Or this week, I was like reading about like ancient Sumerian history and. Um, like goddess cults and stuff like that. And it's just like there's so many different like areas and hats that you have to wear. It ends up being kind of kind of wild. Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess that's the mercurial nature of it too, of yeah. the job, because it can really adapt to like an endless amount of fields for the most part. Like right. obviously doctors aren't using us now, but like there's medical astrology. I mean, maybe some are. Um, financial, like any interest sports like right. any interest you have it can really um it can kind of marry with so easily and like i taught or i didn't t- teach but i um was hired to do a workshop or a talk i guess at um a conference in may um in and it was for travel professionals mm. And so it's like all these independent travel agents, basically they had this conference about travel, but they wanted to do something like fun and cool, um, something different. And so I did this workshop about just like astrology and travel. And I kind of just introduced them to like different concepts, like um, what did I even say? Like, yeah, planning travel with astrology or like astrocartography. And I talked about, um, oh, I did little things like, you know, if this is your rising sign, this might be your travel personality. Talked about the third house, ninth house stuff. Um, and then travel by the moon and kind of talked about, you know, starting trips on new moons or like kind of the energy around a full moon and how I try not to be in um, the airport on full moons because it's like more hectic. Things like that where it's like those people probably never even thought of the fact that like maybe I could hire an astrologer to help choose dates for travel. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Business owners of all types can hire us for some, I mean, I, I um, do a lot of consulting for my friend and her small business around like when to send this email out, you know, for, to try to get funding or when to have this really intense conversation with this, you know, things like that. We can be, we can consult on like anything basically. And I, I think that not enough people know that. Yeah. That reminds me there, I met an astrologer locally that is also like a real estate agent and mm. like combines astrology and like real estate. Oh, wow. And that's like amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so many different specializations, but then one of the tricky parts is like, you have to be good at the astrology. So you have to be really knowledgeable about that and, and excel at that or at least be proficient. But then you also have to be good at whatever that other specialization mm-hmm. field is. Because if you're weak in one or the other, it sort of throws things off. So as the astrologer, we end up having to like learn oftentimes about all these other fields and their intricacies in order to do a good job of applying the astrology to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just had something I lost it, but (laughs) what was I about to say? Um, Oh, yeah. And not to mention the fact that we also have to learn how to um, market ourselves, which I think is like probably the worst part (laughs) Um, because it – it's who does like it comes naturally to so so yeah. few people. I was just here because I had this at the same reaction, but then I'm hearing our like like the Leo rising people being like, <laughs> "You mean the best part?" Yeah, yeah. He's like, "I have Chiron and Leo, and okay. like, yeah, not fun for me." Um, but I think that's that's probably 
like the one skill that people don't think about when they think about becoming a professional astrologer. It's right. like, there's not, it's really on you. Like it's kind of, it's not really many other spaces that like are promoting astrologers or like doing that. Like astrology, you does it for, um, you know, sort of their, their teachers, I guess. Um, and the people that they work with, like Demetra and Kelly and Tony and them help with that. But yeah, when you're starting out, it's like, it's really just on you and it's hard. I mean, I always kind of get down on myself because I'm like, if I would have put in the time and energy and like making reels and TikToks and stuff, I'd probably be so much farther than I am. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't, who has the time and energy for that? Right. Yeah, well, you've got to learn. You have to put yourself out there, and yeah. then you have to learn all the different tools that are necessary to put yourself out there. Like you got to have a website, and you got mm-hmm. to oftentimes learn how to write in some form, whether it's like a right. blog or whether you're writing articles for somewhere else. You've got to learn social media and like you, you know run a Twitter account or Instagram or whatever your social media platform is, and all those have their like intricacies and different things. And then like making graphics and like right. you know materials and then figuring out the business side of it do i do an llc do i do, you know how do i pay myself like there's so much that no one tells you <laughs> yeah that was i realized like years ago that people are struggling with that and that's why i did the professional astrologer right. course which yeah. was like entirely just talking about what i tried because i tried all the different things and mm-hmm. like what i what worked for me in terms of making it and just giving people the short list version of things. Right, yeah. Because like when you get into different things, you you end up having to try a bunch of different things, and then you find out eventually like what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. After sometimes. wasting a lot of time and money, usually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like when I pivoted to doing video in 2017 after the book came out, like I tried different cameras and lighting setups and mm-hmm. microphones, and sometimes you run into like dead ends and... Yeah, sometimes it's nice. That's why sometimes it's nice to have a mentor or a friend because you can talk with and sometimes exchange information about like what worked or what what didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so much time. And then all the different software, like there's so many different options of just software to use. And like, yeah, like do I use Zoom? Do I use this? Like, how do I send the files? Where am I publishing my podcast? Like, it's just, yeah, more than you could imagine. Really, I guess that circles us back around to the like young astrologer thing, and what we were talking about earlier is the dual thing of, on the one hand, us being jealous at just the abundance of like materials mm-hmm. and resources that astrologers have available to them now. If you're a new student of astrology, there's so much great stuff out there. But then the problem I notice that younger people are running into at this point is that there's so much out there that you don't know what to go with or mm-hmm. what to focus on. And that almost becomes the the challenge more than anything. Yeah. And I'll just say, if you're wondering what to focus on, fundamentals of traditional astrology. I'm always going to say that. Like, if you're starting, start there. Mm. Like, it'll take you wherever you need to go. But that's just something I wish I had. Um, and, you know, I'm happy, whatever. My path was my path. But... Um, I just, I just find learning the fundamentals and teaching it was so enriching for me. And like, just seeing, yeah, I don't know. It just, it's so important. Obviously, you know that. Um, So yeah, if anyone's like, where do I start? That's where to start. 
Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because you you then were part of the last, the very last generation that probably started with a pure modern mm-hmm. late 20th century psychological astrology, like I did and like Austin and Kelly did, and then learn traditional after that. Yeah. Whereas some of the new of the newer people are are learning traditional first or learning a blend of modern and traditional and then sometimes learning modern. And I'm still really curious because I feel like this is kind of a lab experiment since it's the first generation of just like how that turns out or what that results in and what the strengths and weaknesses then are of the generation that comes up in that way that's different than than what came before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many of them are learning like Joytish and Western at the same time mm. and like looking at their sidereal charts and their tropical at the same time. And I'm just like mind blown because um, I still don't think I could. I, I remember thinking like, yeah, one day I'll go, I'll learn, <laughs> um, you know, joy tish or whatever. And I still don't know if I'll ever get there. I don't know if my brain can take all of that. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how that's going to come because just in talking to some of the younger people now and how much they know um, about all these different traditions and like, you know, the ancients and, their source text. I'm just like, how do you guys learn all this stuff? <laughs> I think it's a part of it. I remind myself, I'm like, a lot of these people are younger and they have more time than you um, to actually take in this information. But yeah, I it will be so cool to see what happens. And like, especially when the oldest Gen Z start to have their Saturn returns in the next couple of years. And um, yeah, just where I, I'm curious to see who would like the standout people of the Gen Z generation, like astrologers wise, who those are going to be. And um, yeah, as they age into their thirties, oh, wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. And some of the Saturn returns beginning in, in what, in Pisces and Aries and Taurus. Mm-hmm. So Taurus was like 2000. So I guess we'll start getting into Taurus gem- is like, Gemini's. yeah, 1998 Gemini's like 2000, 2000, 2001. Right. So Yeah. Wow. It's coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be super interesting. And um, I'm suddenly, after doing that episode with Demetra on Anana, like that took us back even further, like 2,000 years before the Hellenistic tradition wow. into the early Mesopotamian tradition, where you run all the way up against um, the barrier of. Um, the beginning of like written history mm. and written records of astrology mm-hmm. around 2000 BCE. Um, so basically as, as far back as you can go in the tradition because we just don't have writing or documentation prior to that and seeing how some of the meanings of like Venus, for example, were, were similar and some of the meanings that were lost or dropped out was really interesting because it meant that there was like stuff even earlier in our tradition that was valuable that still has to be go back we have to go back in mind and kind of like understand and and reckon reckon with Mm, wow yeah yeah i'm like my brain hurts thinking back i mean thinking about how time can go back that far and like how we were using this tradition that goes back that far yeah it's so wild like how does that work (laughs) yeah how did that happen i don't know i mean that's what's crazy to me is like my so much of my career has been about reviving Hellenistic astrology from 2,000 years ago, and to have this realization, there's a whole tradition um, from 2,000 years before that yeah. that we still is still very inaccessible because it's in an even older language that we have even fewer 
less documentation of, which is why it's not as well understood. Mm -hmm. um, but that there may be some pieces that can be pieced together. Or there may be tablets and other things that may still be found that'll give us additional information about those traditions. We'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I think my brain goes like, well, I guess we'll never know. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> we yeah. probably could. We probably like we'll have that technology one day and find those missing pieces. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right though. Probably a lot of it is like lost to history at this point. Um, yeah. so we there's a lot of things that we probably will never know. Yeah. Which is wild to think about. I always think about that in regards to like our time now. Like, are there gonna be things that future people will never know because of whatever reasons? Because we mm. have you know, the way we document things now, obviously, like, so much farther ahead than the past. So, yeah, like, will things get lost again? I always wonder that. Yeah, that. I mean, that honestly makes me paranoid how much of our stuff now is digital, mm -hmm. how much of the astrologer's, out, you know, documentation and output is digital, just because, like, if, I don't know, something catastrophic, like a solar flare, like, wipes out, yeah. you know, the internet or, like, a bunch of hard drives or something, how much do you lose or... Even just seeing that something like Twitter, which we're taking as people are almost taking as just like something that will always be there and that mm -hmm. was a bedrock of everything. But then having that suddenly become very unstable and having the prospect of it disappearing entirely if it continues to just have the ball dropped with it. Um, yeah, that because so many, you know, people wrote really insightful mm -hmm. um posts there because they were using it as a micro blogging platform yeah. and also were documenting things in real time like when the pandemic was happening mm -hmm. and astrologers were like observing different things uh, or other real-time events like that if that was lost you lose a huge chunk of history and instead what survives is what maybe stuff that's in printed form or mm -hmm. something like that yeah yeah some uh screenshots or something right <laughs> someone printed out yeah yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's some stuff that's like, okay, that's, that's lost, but. You have your, your thick book, enough copies of that around that someone will find that. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I, as I keep getting it like translated into different languages, I feel better and better of like, that's okay, good, like yeah. this is going to survive in like some form, right. like somewhere, even if some crazy, you know, end of the world scenario happened. Yeah. Um, but How I many do. languages now? Um, so it's been translated into, into Russian. Chinese just came out. Spanish translation was just finished, but we're trying to figure out where to publish it. Um, Turkish is going to come out. Wow. And I think there's a few others that I'm forgetting. Oh, Japanese is, okay. is getting ready to be finished. And there's like a few others. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So my next thing is the podcast, though, because I feel like this has become my life's work also. Mm -hmm. And I want to see some of that survive in different forms. So I've been thinking about publishing transcripts of some of the some of the best episodes just in order to get that in a more mm. more durable format. Mm -hmm. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. People will eat those up. Yeah, it should be good as like book publishing and that whole trade cuz that's a big part of our history as well as astrologers is like books and mm -hmm. just the written tradition of astrology that's often passed on in written form in one way or another realizing that that goes back 4000 years was really um, something that put things into perspective recently. Yeah. I've been trying to decide. I mean, I've been, I have this book I want to write <laughs> and um, I just haven't had the energy to like do it, do the thing, but 
I'm curious if my ninth house year I will start finally or if I'm going to teach it another way. I just have this curriculum and I'm like, is it a book? Is it a course? Is it just a bunch of podcast episodes? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but just thinking about the fact that you spent a decade on one book. Right. I mean, that was a little unique because I was trying to like write the first major treatment of the entirety of like a thousand year tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like a little more ambitious. And I also tried to include everything in one book. Yeah. Um, But so people don't necessarily have to follow that. Well, I I know that you have Mercury Saturn conjunction. Right. So (laughs) I'm like, that makes sense for you. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I the ADD is just too intense for me. I like can't sit and write. I, but I I love to come and just show up and sit in front of a microphone. Though mm-hmm. my Mercury and Sag is really good for that. Um, it starts to freak out when I have to like put pen to paper and actually think about what I'm saying. <laughs> right. I mean, I did my book was an experiment because I felt like I was on the cusp of prior to me and all generations preceding me, writing a book was the way that you had to, Mm -hmm. what you had to do to establish yourself in the field of astrology as like one of the leading astrologers or, or even as a, as a mid-level astrologer to, yeah, just establish yourself in the field. And I really wondered at that point when I published in 2017, if that was still necessary or almost like a requirement Mm -hmm. to do that, or if because other people were making it by doing YouTube channels or podcasts or other things like that, if it had become unnecessary. But I feel like over the past two years, I have confirmed that like publishing something does help establish you still in a way that's unique and, and valuable and, and worth doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You have that ruler of your ninth in your, on your midheaven. Yeah. Venus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I wrote a book, but, I'm not like super proud of it because <laughs> it was just, it was short, you know. Oh, the, in the sign series? Yeah, yeah. Pisces. Um, and I wrote it really, I wrote it like in a fever dream. I feel like it was like this, I was having that crazy transit, Neptune squaring my Mercury as Jupiter transited my Mercury. Mm-hmm. And I just remember having like this, like week long migraine and I was like writing it through them. I, I don't remember. It was just remember like pouring out words into for like five days straight. Um, and I feel like I want to, I just like want another chance <laughs> at writing something that I'm like really proud of. Um, and I kind of can, like I have a publisher, but it's just more about like, do I have time to write this book? Right. That's the trickiest part. Yeah. Um, I feel like I need to be like paid. A whole year salary <laughs> just to like be able to have the time to do it you know yeah. i can't like do other things it's hard yeah i mean that's what i did is i saved up a bunch of money and yeah. then um took a year off from doing consultations and that was actually when i stopped doing consultations was okay. 2015 but i only saved up for like three months and i'm like okay i'm gonna hammer this out in three months and i got three months in i was like oh no i've yeah. <laughs> i've run out of money and like this is not anywhere near finished i'm gonna need the rest of the year so then i because i'd taken a, there's a gap there where i stopped doing podcasts mm-hmm. but then i went back to doing podcasts uh because i needed the income from patreon in right. order to fund the rest of the year of writing and i was able to like coast through with that and still not doing consultations but that was what it took to 
write the book basically during the course of that year, the final version of it. Yeah, that I, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I so, want to figure that out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Or it's or I don't write a book and I do something else. But I don't know. Something about I just I do I do want to write a book eventually. Well, one of the things I realized also in retrospect is like my book's super thick and dense, but like most of the best books that you read are actually very, very light mm-hmm. and very to the point and the chapters are relatively short and the paragraphs are relatively brief as well, which, you know, really like a lot of good books are just a a sequence of almost like, like um, blog articles Mm -hmm. that are like strung together and that that can be a really successful book. Um, And I feel like that's probably the better, I had to write what I wrote here, but in the future, if I was to write again, I would probably write something more clean and more, um, more concise. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but it's cool to be like, I wrote this. Right. Yeah. I still had to do that for like bragging rights, <laughs> yeah. just to like be, I always had that idea of like, I'm going to write the book on this tradition that is that book that like everybody has to read. Like, Planets in Transit was mm-hmm. that book that like Rob Hand wrote that really made him and that every astrologer just like has to have in their library. So I wanted to do that also to like recover that tradition because it was important to me and I found myself in this unique position of being involved in part of the recovery. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but future books, I mean, don't quote me because obviously (laughs) I'm not known for being concise. (laughs) Reputation is not my reputation, but if I can, can, I'll try to write something more concise. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be cool. Yeah, I know. I've I've been wanting to write something – I do see it as probably concise, but I mean, who knows? But yeah, something basically around like um, just how I approach learning the the fundamentals because mm-hmm. um, I just had such a great time teaching it. And yeah, I have this whole syllabus that I want to do something with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. I just, I feel like that is like when it comes to my ninth house Scorpio stuff, I'm just so... I get so like charged up by um, the fundamentals of the tradition because, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you get it. There's something so cool about learning that stuff and just seeing, um, yeah, just how it can apply to like everything. And it just makes astrology so much clearer and um, it just makes it make more sense. Yeah. Well, and you also... I mean, you said your Jupiter's in Virgo, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, once your app is launched, um, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of really fresh insights just into doing synastry and relationship astrology and stuff like that. And if something comes out of that as well, um, yeah. it could be like book worthy or something like that. Uh, yeah. I know another major astrologer that has like the ruler of the ascendant in the seventh, and they wrote a book on mm-hmm. astrology and relationships. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll never forget, I won't say anything, but just talking about um, different house systems and you were like, well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to, because it's like a sore spot, but yeah. It's yeah. Like, that's been a th- running thing over the past like several years of different astrologers that maybe don't use whole sign houses and aren't used to conceptualizing their chart in mm-hmm. that way. And then just like pointing out, like, well, you know, you did this and matches the house placement, the ruler, the ascendant is sometimes fun. I both like that experience, but also don't want to be obnoxious because I'm trying to like, 
um, walk that line still mm -hmm. in that I think there's value to both whole sign houses and quadrant houses and to find the the middle ground between those two of like advocating for uh, you know a system especially early on that was a system that wasn't used um, mm -hmm. wasn't very popular and advocating for that while at the same time still um, making room for and exploring other systems and what the reconciliation of those two can be yeah yeah I it's funny when people talk about health systems or even like the different zodiacs and it's like I mean you made the podcast episode whole sign house this is the best house system which was but, which was partially supposed to be a joke yeah, title. I know was a joke. Okay, <laughs> all right at the end of the lecture just for the record i said like i'm kind of joking like yeah whatever system you use is great i'm just showing how people should try to have a good reason for whatever system they use but if you do that i totally respect you know whatever system to use as long as you have a good reason for doing it yeah and yeah. that's essentially my point of view on it too um but yeah it is it is always funny when you're talking to someone and they're like seeing their chart they're like oh no i'm definitely like you know a fourth house son and then like actually i'm looking at it as this fifth house son and you kind of start talking about it and they're like whoa i guess that that does make sense right um i just feel like yeah when it comes to different zodiacs and different systems and people i think there's always there's always a lot of discussion around like which one's better, which one's true or right or real or whatever. And I'm just like, we're all looking at the same sky. We're just interpreting it differently. We're using different systems to look at the same sky. Like there's not really a better or worse or whatever. It's just different ways of looking at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think people just, especially the longer of a career you have as an astrologer, the more you're used to conceptualizing your life and your chart in a certain way mm -hmm. based on whatever your chart preference is. And I think it's sometimes really hard to look at it from a different perspective just because we predicate so much of our understanding of our lives on how we see our charts. Yeah. So <clears throat> that can be really tough. And I definitely like sympathize. And that's why I'm not trying to usually give people like a hard time about that. Like mm -hmm. Alan Oaken was another one I did that with where I think he had like the ruler at Scorpio rising and Mars was in the eighth by quadrant, but it was in the ninth. Mm. And I think I made that point. Like you're an astrologer. <laughs> I was like half joking. I was like, and you live, you travel, you've traveled the world and you know like 10 different languages fluently. And wow. I'm like, that's a pretty, you're pretty ninth housey, my friend. Yeah. And he, he sort of took it in good um, faith while still being like, yeah, but I still, you know, the eighth house placement is still relevant, mm -hmm. which is true because that mm -hmm. was the thing. You know, I don't now that I now that we're out of this stage of needing to like bring whole sign houses back and sort of defend it as a legitimate approach that should be considered in contemporary practice. I think now I finally got to the point over the past year or two where I'm ready to push for the part that I've always said we should be heading towards, but we've had to get distracted with all these stupid debates about whether whole sign houses existed, mm -hmm. and now it should be focused on how do you reconcile like whole sign and quadrant houses or or even equal houses to some extent? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really interested in. I've started to see like with um, you know, the Noel Till example where he had the ruler of the first in like the second house by whole sign, but the third house by quadrant, I believe, if I'm remembering, and just reading this interview with him where he saw an astrologer on TV for the first time and then turns to his wife and says, I'm gonna write like a bunch of books on this and become a millionaire was like one of his statements about oh, wow. like the first time he learned about astrology. And it's like it really shows 
the blending where the ruler of his ascendant in his life motivation partially that impulse was both to write in third house, but also to like make money yeah. and be financially successful, and that he manifested both of them. Yeah, and there's something there about those and other examples that I think really shows the point of reconciliation. And at some point, when things clear out and die down a little bit more from earlier this year, I'm really excited about doing an episode talking about that and delving into it more deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've been saying that for a couple of years, just like the synthesis of different house systems, different zodiacs, different techniques. Um, that is sort of like where we're at right now. And it seems like where we're continuing to head mm-hmm. um, because yeah, there is, the, especially with a younger generation, like wanting to learn so many different, I mean like this, yeah, the Pluto and Sads, they're a little bit more scattered, I guess, in terms of their, their knowledge gathering, not scattered in a bad way, of course, but um I think us millennials especially having such like the such a strong Saturn influence, um, especially like the middle of our generation, we I think that's where the traditional revival, like why we love tradition traditional so much is because yeah, there's just something about um, you know, millennials as a generation being the last the last generation to know what life was like before the internet. Right. Um and how I think we do really like hold on to the past, um, probably more so than future generations will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That's interesting, and it'll be interesting to see then what the synthesis is like with the Pluto and Sag and, and other generations, because of like we said that how much different material they have and how much exposure they have to different forms of astrology, it's almost going to be, it's it's inevitable that you then synthesize a bunch of different pieces together. It just becomes a question of like what pieces become the dominant sort of parts that get synthesized into whatever that, that stew is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting how, you know, I think back to previous times in history where there was like synthesis happening, like the Hellenistic period even, and how that was obviously happening like IRL in person at the Library of Alexandria or whatever. And how now it's also like, it's very much more global and digital or, you know, through the internet. And there's a lot less in-person gatherings happening where Mm. we're like coming together and talking and, yeah, really like doing that type of synthesis in person. I wonder, yeah, I don't know. It's just, is, will we have those in-person spaces? I mean, obviously we have our, our conferences, but um, yeah, that we don't have like a Kepler, you know, anymore, or even like um, um, the revival project that I'm just uh, having a brief part. Hindsight. Yeah. Hindsight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want, I mean, obviously there's like local gatherings happening in places all over the world, but I do get curious about like, yeah, I don't know, sort of like hubs. We don't really have a lot of hubs anymore. Yeah, that's definitely tricky in terms of, you know, there's some in-person stuff coming back with like conferences like Norwalk starting to happen again or local astrology groups happening again, mainly in like major cities. But so much of the dis- so much of the locus of activity generationally has moved from in person to online. Um, 
But I mean, there is a point where in ancient astrology, I do feel like even though there was in-person stuff, and we know that Valens like taught students in Alexandrian stuff, like a lot of the transmission of astrology has always been like textual through the transmitting and translation of different texts from generation to generation mm-hmm. and language to language. So the, like the component of astrology has always been that, and that we still have that today with like the internet and the transmission of things either verbally through like videos and podcasts or through through books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um I guess TikTok. It, TikTok, yeah. And now TikTok in the sacred archives of TikTok <laughs> that will be passed on from generation to generation. Yeah. Um yeah. So it's like some of that is just becomes what are the like the dominant texts oftentimes generationally in the past? That's been the thing. Like what are the main texts that everybody views as authoritatively and they get passed on the most and become like the bedrock of things? Mm-hmm. I guess that's one of the the questions. Like what is what is like centrality look like when it comes to our generations mm-hmm. and the with the online discourses? Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard UAC twenty twenty six? Is that it? Is it for sure? I saw that in an ESAR email. Okay. Yeah. So that's their, so maybe they're talking about it and that's their target date. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I mean, that would be great if that happens. So UAC is or the United Astrology Conference is when like all the big organizations put on one like mega conference. Yeah. I feel like there's been, correct me if I'm wrong, some consolidation of groups in the past like year or so too, like AFAN and that- yeah, and OPA. Okay. I think, I think yeah. AFAN and OPA folded into each other okay. or something. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I've never been to a UAC, but Oh really? You didn't go to twenty eighteen? No, I wasn't okay. I wasn't like deep enough in things yet at that point. Okay. Um or maybe I had just started yeah, twenty eighteen was uh that was the beginning of Saturn and Capricorn, which is my eleventh house, which is when I first started to do like the dinners and like monthly meetups and what year? Um, 2018, 18, okay. like January, 2018, I started doing that stuff. So, um, yeah, I was like just getting into, you know, the astrology scene at that point. I didn't, I don't think I knew about it, like about UAC at that point, Got or it. I heard about it like as it was happening or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be cool. I didn't go to any conferences this year, so I am kind of missing the in-person astro hangs yeah i mean it's so it's so important so valuable and it's something you can't understand until you're like there and mm-hmm. hanging out with a group of people that speak your language since it's such an isolated study but um that would be great if it comes back um yeah it's it's really like there used uac used to be i know i remember like lee lehman saying that that's how like the older generations used to tell time is like how many times uh, since the last uac or until the next one because it was usually every four years yeah um so it used to be such a regular regular keystone of the community and to have a lot of that fall apart over the past several years has been really interesting in terms of just breaking a little bit of the continuity in the tradition mm-hmm. yeah it's true yeah thinking about um that transmission of information from the older generation to the younger generation and how just like being at Norwalk for a couple years and seeing that literally happening. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. We definitely need that again, more of that. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty much all, like all we focused on when I was president of the association for young astrologers was getting younger people to conferences. Cause usually they were so 
expensive. It was like cost prohibitive for younger people to show up to them. Yeah. <clears throat> and but then I, I realized at the same time that that was literally where the generations like met and where they connected and like and interacted with each other because otherwise they were often off in their own isolated sort mm-hmm. of hubs. Yeah, the older people on Facebook, younger people on Twitter, the right. even younger people on TikTok. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it is so important, those moments, yeah. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see it come back, and then also interesting the attempts to experiment with um, the blending between both online and in-person stuff in the early mm-hmm. stages of that, of, of essentially like live streaming the conferences, and whether that's still whether the conferences then are still viable enough if that if or if that hurts attendance enough that makes it not work as well as in person or if it's the opposite and it actually just enhances it and makes it more accessible and therefore becomes a successful model yeah i mean i think it could be i'm thinking you know people i kind of did this in um 2021 i kind of hosted friends for norwax so cuz it was virtual um and i was speaking in it and yeah, I think like five, four or five other astrologers all came to my place. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was really cool. Yeah, and we all kind of did Norwalk together. So I feel like there's opportunities for that too, where we're streaming virtually, but there can be like watch parties. Right. Yeah, because it was online that year, um, and you guys all attended it and gave your lectures online virtually. Mm-hmm. But you were there's like five of you there in person at the same house. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like that, that should, that should be a thing for people who can't make, you know, the trip. It's hard. I mean, um, I started the 11th house and now Joe's house to try to help people like just connect in general, but, um, connecting locally is so important. Um, and I'm, I feel blessed. I'm happy at myself that I, I started that pretty early on, like 2018, when I started to really, I just kind of, I think I posted on Facebook. It was probably a couple years before that, but I was just like, is anyone interested in like a meetup where we talk about astrology? Um, And I started hosting it. I had people just like sign up, put their name on like an Excel spreadsheet. And I just didn't know what I was doing, but I did it. I I would print out people's charts beforehand and, kind of just like host these meetups and groups and um yeah i'm so happy i i was doing that when i was doing it because i met so many people and um yeah just got into the community that way and it people don't know how important it is to be able to talk like speak the language to people especially in person until you're doing it and you're like i can't live without this now <laughs> Because you don't want to be annoying your like cousin, boyfriend, brother, or whatever, um, about like, oh, you're such a, your Mars is in Leo, like you're such a Mars in Leo, and they're just like, stop saying that to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, that's super crucial. And and that moment where you're suddenly in an environment that's different, where people speak your language, and having a sense of um, acceptance and being able to relate to other people in a way that's different mm-hmm. if you primarily have like non-astrologers in your life up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That, that is crucial. Um well there are two things. One, I mean I think the the answer though that's been learned over the past year or so is that 
it is a viable strategy to host in-person events and also live streaming because I think Norwalk went well last year when they did that for the first time in 2022 and I or 2023, actually, mm-hmm. just a few months ago. Yeah. And then I just talked to um, Danny Larkin, who's running the New York meetup um, oh, yeah. right now, and he said that they're doing both in-person as well as online streams, and that it's going great. That's so awesome. it seems like there's like multiple people experimenting with that, and that's the cusp that we're at, but that it, it's been being established, at least, that it's a viable model. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear, yeah. Um, yeah, it's important to be able to have that for people who can't come in person and i think we're just going to hopefully get better and better at making that virtual experience better for people too yeah that's the biggest thing is because the initial struggles especially during the pandemic we're doing online conferences but then the social component was majorly missing yeah and that there's still a way to do that but you got to figure out how to still have that component because that's a huge it's not just the lectures or the, the presentations it's the social component yeah yeah I mean, I feel like Norwalk last year, that's, I like barely went to many lectures. It was like mostly the hanging out, like the socializing. Right. I probably, my brain was too fried from getting my, my slides done. That's probably why I didn't go to many myself, but yeah, just being able to be with people and, you know, I always do Airbnbs for these conferences. And so there was like five or six of us together Mm. and, um, yeah, getting to hang out, getting a to kind of escape the hotel craziness too. And right. there's just a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Um, and I just, yeah, I think most people know to prioritize it if they can, but um, if you're still on the fence and you can try to make it work, it's like definitely worth it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. To have that in-person experience when ESAR was out here, in Colorado last August, I went out and hung out for a little bit and it was really great. Like meeting up with so many astrologers in person and remembering what that's like. Um, you did like a keynote, didn't you? Or like the closing? What did you, didn't no. you? Well, they gave me an award. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Cause I remember seeing you and you were like, yeah, I'm trying to like write a speech real quick. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Did we walk? Do you walk by at that like exact moment? Probably. I think it was. I'm like outside <laughs> trying to write an acceptance speech and, and we walked by. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I made a joke that didn't <laughs> land well about COVID where I was like, you know, the, the tradition is like like breathing in and, and breathing out. You take the tradition in and then you take it, you breathe it out eventually and pass it on. And I was like, kind of like, we're all breathing in this room together. And I'm like, but I, I would suggest not breathing too deeply right now. COVID. And there's just like crickets and like, uh, but that's okay. I was probably giggling. There was a few laughs. There's a few laughs. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, ironically though, it's, it's like making that joke, but it was also on my mind because that's been my struggle is just after getting sick in 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, and then having um, long COVID that's just like wrecked permanently my immune system. Mm-hmm. So I get sick really easily. Like I can't really go to conferences and have been yeah. avoiding it so that I've also stopped speaking at conferences. And even just doing the podcast is a huge energetic expenditure so that I don't even do online lectures anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons I'm happy that they are starting to do more virtual stuff um, because I know that it, there is a segment of people that are like that who have either you know gotten it or 
are worried about getting it still because of the long-term effects that mm-hmm. it has on some people for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of good that there will be that accessibility option just because it still seems important and relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I'm just excited to see like how we can make that better for people right? going forward. But yeah, there's definitely ways. It's still just the early mm-hmm. phases of everything, but it's going in really good directions. So yeah. it'd be good to see. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be cool. I'm like, yeah, what's 2026 going to be like? <laughs> For UAC, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the different organizations are going to have to come together. Like other ones will probably have to do their own conferences in between now and mm-hmm. then. Like I assume there'll be another ESAR conference. I don't know if. NCGR is doing one, mm. and I'm sure OPA is probably going to do something. But yeah, doing 2026 would be that'd be crazy. Just a huge mega conference. Yeah, uh, where the last one in Chicago had like a thousand people or something oh, like wow. that. So so it gets pretty pretty crazy. Just a bunch of astro nerds gathering. Right. <laughs> I always I always wonder what the people who like are in the hotels that aren't part of the conference are thinking. When we're just like talking about Jupiter and Pluto and Uranus, and they're like, "What is happening? Right? <laughs> what did I step into?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be cool to see. Yeah. Well, and it'll be cool for a lot of like younger astrologers to attend that if that's their first one of their first conferences, as well as, um, yeah, the speaker selection process. Like that's a whole thing for professional astrologers like in our field and and the limited number of spots there's different people like vying for that mm-hmm. you know that want to have a speaking position and yeah there's a lot that go into that that uh behind the scenes it's like a lot of work yeah yeah i think i decided i'm not gonna do that anymore <laughs> okay i realized that because i i would get such intense stage fright um last year for both um, Norwak and Isar, and I was like, "What is wrong with me?" And um, and then I did a conference this year, but it was like non astrologers, and I was like, "Oh, I'm just afraid of talking in front of astrologers." Okay. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I'm like, maybe that's just not what I'm supposed to be doing. Was there ever a point before last year, after hosting so many like meetups and stuff, like where you felt like you gave a lecture where you you were more or less competent going into it or it was something yeah. you're still no i i feel like i, I think it was the in-person part because mm-hmm. i'd been doing so much online teaching up until last year when we finally got in person again mm-hmm. and i was just like yeah it was like too intense <laughs> um and i also just feel like i think the astrology like the knowledge that i have to offer is very like i was focused so much on the fundamentals and the foundational stuff that i'm like do these people need to know this like if you're at astrology conference you probably already know (laughs) so i think i got in my head about that too like is this actually helping anyone um so yeah that's why i'm like i kind of prefer to talk to non-astrologers because at least ego wise i don't feel like (laughs) i'm like um you know preaching to the choir or whatever um, and I feel like I'm actually like giving people interesting information because when it comes to astrologers, I'm just like, you probably already know this. You I know? mean, there's a lot of, there's a surprising number of beginners at like conferences. 
So yeah. I wouldn't get too worried about that. And even when you're presenting basics, basic things, and if intermediate or advanced astrologers come in and see it, sometimes they'll still walk away with some interesting insight or something they hadn't thought of before, even if it's super, super basic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have gotten that feedback, but um, I think I just get in my head about it too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. It's something that takes just practice. Yeah. I used to like visibly like shake when giving my first talks. They were a mess at yeah. Norwalk in, what was it, 2006 and 2007. Um but it's like the more it's just one of those things that the more you do it, just like consultations, mm-hmm. the easier it becomes, and the more some of those feelings like recede into the background. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we meant to talk about that we didn't, or any major no things um, that have come up. Only thing I've been thinking about otherwise is just the Saturn and Pisces transit. <laughs> Because um, it's stationed on my ascendant, like within a degree this what, year. What degree? Five or six? Um, I'm at or no, it's... my my ascendant's like seven fifty nine. Okay, Pisces. So it's stationed at like seven something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't have anything in my first house natally. Okay. Oh yeah. What was your eleventh house again? Um, Capricorn. Do you have anything there? Just I have my North Node, Uranus, Neptune conjunction. Uranus, Neptune, okay. They're all within like two degrees oh, right. or something. You were born in 91. Mm-hmm. Um, but Saturn's not there. Saturn's at one Aquarius. Aquarius, okay. Yeah. I was just wondering with all of the like in-person meetups that you organized in the 11th house theme for you, like how that was playing a role, but it's... It was very much Saturn transiting my 11th. And then, yeah, the Saturn return was also a lot of organizing group stuff. Okay, yeah. got it. Um. But yeah, Saturn in the first has been interesting. I don't know. Like, I was thinking about not having any, just for the first house and like people who have planets in their first house and how dynamic they are and just like personality wise and all these things. And um, I'm a seventh house person. My chart ruler is in the seventh. And so having Saturn come in, and just kind of spend all this time has been really interesting identity wise and especially like body wise. Mm. I've been so, I started, I got a trainer like at the end of February. So right before Saturn entered Pisces and um, I started lifting, which feels very like Saturn in my first house. Um, but you, yeah. You're also a day chart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been like, really i just want to like sculpt my body like so i'm like so obsessed with my whole for you page on instagram is like you know workouts just like gym girls or gym guys working out which is so i felt like not like me but right. <laughs> now it is i guess That's amazing. um and yeah also just being very like i don't I don't want any of my clothes anymore, but I also don't know what to buy. Like, I just don't, this weird identity crisis when it comes to like clothing, body stuff, like, yeah, what I look like. Mm. And it's a very interesting shift from having Jupiter in Pisces. Um, Yeah, because that has been so much about, well, that was a lot about my body, but more 
bio biologically, <laughs> I guess, because about health wise, health wise, I'll say. Um, I started a medication on the Jupiter Kazemi in my first house and when I was in Pisces and um, I have kidney disease. So the medication is like for the kidney disease and it's for, it's to kind of uh, prolong or slow down the progression. Okay. But what it does is it makes you like extremely thirsty. Mm. So every day I, I didn't take it today because it, it's just too annoying when you're traveling. Cause you literally like, I'm just like chugging water all the time. Mm. And I just thought it was so funny because it it was like a Jupiter Kazemi and Pisces, and I became like hyperhydrated all, all of right. a sudden. Um, and so yeah, now that Saturn's here and there's a lot more like constriction and contraction, I'm like just a lot more critical, and not even like in a bad way or being mean to myself necessarily. I'm just like, yeah, these clothes don't fit. Like you need better clothes, or you need this and that, and the way you're presenting yourself, like all these things. So yeah, that's just something on my mind. It's just first house transits, especially as someone with an empty first house and yeah, having a planet there for so long for the first time since I was like two, mm. <laughs> um, what that, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. It's, it's weird as an astrologer, how it's like, we, we know the keywords for the first house and like things like, like appearance, body, self, self image, um, but it's not until you have like a major first house transit and then you have that experience of your your appearance or your body or your sense of self and how you appear to the world like actually becoming a major focal point for mm -hmm. you all of a sudden for your unique uh, reasons that you suddenly understand on a much deeper level like what that's actually about. Yeah, how, how would like was Saturn and Aquarius for you? I know it was like a lot of health stuff for you, especially because you're moon there, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but was it also, yeah, did you also have a lot of like identity stuff too? Um, I mean, my famous like first housey story that I always tell is like my Saturn return. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> like my Saturn return is like, I realized I was like losing my hair and it got to a point where during the course of my Saturn returns, they have Aquarius rising and Saturn as the ruler of the ascendant in the 10th house, but also squaring the ascendant. So when I'm having my Saturn return, it's also squaring my ascendant descendant axis mm -hmm. and just going through that really extreme process, at least for me, just because um, I used to have long hair most of the time growing up and then I cut it shorter, but like hair and making that transition of like realizing I was losing it and I needed to just start shaving it um, was part of my Saturn return. And that was a real focusing on first house and self and appearance and how you appear to the world and things like that. And now, you know, over the past decade, because I'd made that transition by the time I started doing video for the podcast, like everybody, you know, just knows me as, as that I shave my head, but making that transition for me at the time was definitely like a major mm -hmm. like internal struggle and process of like transformation. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I was, I've been seeing someone recently who um, has alopecia mm -hmm. and I asked him like when, when that happened to him and he said around like 14, 15, which would have been his opposition hmm. and he has Saturn in the sixth house. So that would okay. have been, yeah, just the whole like losing the hair. <laughs> I mean, I shaved my head during my Saturn return. Okay. Um, obviously I wasn't losing it, but yeah, the, the hair part is interesting, like with Saturn, especially. Um, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
with that was your Saturn return in your tenth. Yeah, that was Saturn return in the tenth. The Saturn ruling your ascendant, of course. Right, yeah. and then um, and just the feeling of like compulsion of just like you don't have a choice mm -hmm. but to accept this. And it's it's weird being in a situation sometimes with Saturn transits where you have something that happens that you have to learn to accept even if you don't want it. Um, mm -hmm. But also the choice, almost this like stoic question of whether to go along willingly with that and therefore have some degree of freedom and that you're accepting it by your own volition versus just being sort of pulled along the mm -hmm. cart behind fate or what have you. I almost feel like that's like a day chart, night chart thing too. Like, sure. I feel like day charts were, were able to look at it as more constructive and mm -hmm. like more big picture, like whatever. But I find night charts often feel like they're being, they're just like, you know, captive to the wheels of time or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the Aquarius, of course, was like getting COVID and then dealing mm -hmm. with the uh, physical limitations of the weird things that it did to my body after that, of not being able to have as much energy or do as much. Mm -hmm. um, so more about like physical constraints. Um, yeah, but it's interesting how different people experience it. And it's interesting for you that some of that so far is just like internal um, motivations to like sculpt and, and mold your body in different ways. Um, that's a really cool manifestation of that. Yeah, I just started really thinking about like longevity and like mm. I think last year was such a hard year for me. I have, you know, my Scorpio stelliums in the it's not really stellium, but my Scorpio stuff is in the third deck. And so I was getting really hit by Saturn last year. Scorpio episode, can I say, one of my favorite episodes is the Zodiac series. Yes. Like that we did with you, me, and Sam. I was talking to Austin about it the other day. Because like the Pisces episode, for some reason, is shooting up as the most viewed episode. Mm. It's like beat Rick Levine's um, Aries episode, which was the most popular until okay. recently. But the Scorpio episode is one of my favorite just because of the way that you, me, and Sam gelled in that episode yeah scorpio power yeah <laughs> um but yeah that saturn square i don't know i'm sure you felt it because it was in your first and on your moon too but mm -hmm. I, I don't know anyone with scorpio placements that didn't have a hard go of like those squares from saturn mm -hmm. um and so i feel like i it kind of put me into like an extreme like low place and so once this saturn pisces transit started I was just start thinking a lot more about like, yeah, I want to like have a healthy body for a long time. Like I want to like live for a long time. I want to, I want to, I don't want to start later in life to like getting in shape. Mm. And I found that, and I kind of knew this about myself already, but it's just becoming more and more clear, especially as I'm getting older that like, I, it's not an option. Like I need to work out, mm. <laughs> not for like, you know, looks reasons or appearance reasons, but like mental health, physical health, like for my digestion, for my sleep, for my anxiety, like all the reasons. And right. um, it's just such like a Saturn, like mature thing to, to like be like, okay, you're doing this not because no one's forcing you to, not because you're like trying to fit into a dress or whatever, but because it's like long-term good for you and your future children and whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that's been a big thing. It's like thinking more big picture and long-term about just my physical health and um, trying to get better about it. 
Yeah, that's a really big like turning point. And 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 thinking about things like food or like the nutritional content of food yeah. was like a tail end of Saturn in my first. That sounds similar to what you're talking about. Especially because of your moon too, I bet. Right. Because I'm getting that next. I'm nervous about it. But I have a lot of food issues personally. Like I've had this appetite issue for the past over a decade now where I mm. don't really have an appetite. Um Thank you to cannabis for helping me out with that. It's usually the, the opposite. Yeah. Uh, isn't it? I mean. Well, no, I mean, it gets me. Oh, it gives you an appetite. It gives okay. me an appetite. I thought you were saying yeah. that it like cancels your Oh, no, appetite. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for that's the, the That's how I've been eating basically. Okay. Um, but it's been just like this battle for so long trying to figure out what to do about it and Lately, I've come to the conclusion, like, it's definitely psychological. It's not really a physical thing. And thinking about, I have my moon um, in Aries, and it's at the bendings. It's square the nodes. Do you mind if I pull up your chart? No, not at all. Okay, we showed it on the Scorpio episode, didn't we? Yeah, okay. probably for you, a second. You put it out. Yeah, I, I like mind. to make sure I'm not, like, pressuring people. No, yeah, I don't, I don't mind at all. I talk about it a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, here we go. So there it is. Yeah. So my moon down there, it's like exactly square Neptune. It's square, it's squaring the nodes, Uranus. Okay. So your all moon, of that. Your moon's in Aries. So that's what you're saying. You're, it's coming up in your moon next when mm -hmm. Saturn goes into Aries. Yeah. It'll station okay. on my moon eventually. But got it. But yeah, I've been looking at my moon for, you know, trying to understand my appetite issues. Um, and I think it just makes sense looking at my moon um, placement. Um, I think Aries moons in general tend to have, we just like don't have the patience often when it comes to food. So we want it quick and, you know, fast. Mm -hmm. But um, I find, yeah, having the moon at the bendings has been probably one of the more difficult parts of my chart in my life is like figuring out how to feed myself. And it, there's just every day so much confusion around it and mm -hmm. so much like, you know, it's just never consistent. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's been like a, I'm like curious to see what happens when um, the eclipses come to my moon and then also when Saturn eventually gets there. Oh, right. Because the nodes just went into Aries and Libra. Yeah. 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 Which um, I'm excited about. I'm like, yeah, cool. Get second house, North node. I can, <laughs> I can roll with that. Yeah. Um, well, it's nice that you have that one, that Venus opposition um, to the moon, which is a nice positive influence. And then mm -hmm. also that trine between the moon applying to a trine with Mercury and Sagittarius. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I do. I think it's, it's true when people are like, you know, you don't really like notice your own trines that much, I right. think. And I kind of feel that way with my moon trine Mercury. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I can be fiery, I guess. Like I really have a hard time thinking about how it plays out, but I'm sure other people see it in me or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, you the variety of different like communicative forms that you've done over the past decade that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode and that you've mm -hmm. like been successful in like each of those I think is unique because many people don't aren't, aren't necessarily able to have that that like facility or or um, adaptability to to do something like that and be good at it. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. 
Um, oh, I wanted to ask you about Saturn and Pisces for you as like your chart ruler now leaving its home signs for past five years. Like, how has that been? Um, it's good. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, it's gone into my second house. So I'm just thinking long term about sustainability and like um, the podcast and the production schedule of the podcast is a lot each mm-hmm. month because I do four public episodes and two private episodes each month, um, which is about all the energy that I have in terms of producing and recording mm-hmm. and releasing and promoting those. Um, so trying to figure out if that's sustainable in the long term and what other things I need to be doing to just uh, make sure things are okay in the future, just because having the reduction of my energy sort of like cut in half um, I used to be able to just like like the podcast originally I was doing four to six episodes a month and then was like creating new courses mm-hmm. or like writing articles or doing all this other stuff. Results in Mars are like, I can do it all. Yeah. Um, and have like the endurance to do it all and do these like long lectures and uh, recover from it pretty soon. So just figuring out how to adapt given some of those limitations and to make sure things are good for the long term, I think is a lot of what that's going to be about for me. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. I'm, I am yeah. curious. I do want to see more about Saturn and Pisces. I'm I'm still shocked at how literal like the symbolism has been so far oh this gosh. year. Just in the terms station of station like, with the submarine. The submarine, yeah. I'll never forget that. Well, like that was, was wild. That was wild, and then it was also like you know orcas are attacking right. boats and. There was like one other sea thing, and more recently, it's been like there's like a sea otter like attacking people, oh, wow. which has been really entertaining to <laughs> Lots watch. Lots of sharks, a lot more sharks in the water. Yeah, or or now it's like forever chemicals. Mm-hmm. Michael Morris was pointing that out. The right. forever chemicals thing happened recently, where they're re- realizing that some of the chemicals in the water Good are tap like, water. Yeah, yeah, that was such a good episode. I was like texting Michael during it, like I love this. <laughs> I love listening to them talk and. They just had such amazing insight, always, always. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah, like, the water like, stuff has been, yeah, like scary. The only person that like can rival Austin in terms mm-hmm. of the poeticness of yeah. speech of and the metaphors was mm-hmm. really good. Um, yeah. So there's that. And then also earlier this year, like as soon as Saturn went into Pisces, you were getting a lot of like the AI generated art stuff. Right. And yeah. there was some really interesting stuff with that. Um, which I'm curious about as that proceeds and as Saturn gets closer to Neptune, but also it's like we've had a little bit of a break for the past few months when Pluto went back into Capricorn mm-hmm. and it seemed like some of the AI stuff kind of like receded a little bit. I'm curious to see if that comes back like full force, like another wave of that when Pluto goes back into Aquarius. Yeah, it will. And I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just because my Saturn's in early Aquarius and I just really hated that period of Pluto there. I'm not looking forward to it coming back. Excuse me. Um, 12th house stuff, I guess. I'm just, it just made me so paranoid. Right. Like I really hated it. I knew, I knew it was Pluto in my 12th on my Saturn. Um, but I was like, I can't wait till this goes back into Capricorn. I can't believe I was <laughs> saying that, but it's been nice for me, at least mental health wise. I'm like, I don't feel like everyone hates me <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's funny that I had similar things during that time. 
come to think of it. Like Pluto in your 12th or, or it just in like your first? Dipping into Aquarius and going to my yeah. first and just so like intense. seeing the shift of intensity. And sometimes those, I, I still get struck by how some of the basic, I don't know, just significations of things that almost become cliches of mm-hmm. different transits are like really are real. And sometimes when that moves into an important place, like you get those cliche experiences with those transits, mm-hmm. just like, you know, the textbooks say or just like, you know, people talk about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, with it coming back into, with Pluto coming back into Capricorn, there's been, like, just talking about the corruption and, you know, Trump and all of that coming back up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious what's going to happen as it's, like, dipping back and forth over the next, like, two years or so. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the AI stuff, the robots, the aliens. Oh, my God, the alien stuff. Right. Yeah, gosh, weird times. Yeah, it's all coming up like all at once. I guess that is like a, just a really good phrase for Pluto and Aquarius. It's just weird times. Like the next yeah. 20 years are about to get even more weird somehow. I know. I can't. That's the thing I keep uh, thinking about is like, this is really just the beginning of this. Like, we're in for like 20 years of this. Yeah. And like a lot of the most like literal things possible all started happening at the very beginning. So, right. But I guess that was how it was with Pluto and Capricorn too, with yeah. like financial crash and yeah, Obama becoming president, the the world collapsing or whatever, the financial market collapsing. Um, it has been so much about like the powers that be and it's so wild now that we're at the end of it and it's like, it's all been exposed now. It's like everyone knows how like the levels of corruption that we're like living within and how the system, the, the system is like really only benefiting like what five people up top or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's like now what? Yeah, and those power um, things, as well as the wealth disparities mm-hmm. and things like that, and also like having the richest man in the world like swoop out of nowhere and just like buy what, yeah. one of the biggest social networks towards the end of that Pluto and Capricorn transit, and then proceed to like evidently dismantle it. Like it's mm-hmm. not really, it's still not. That's what's so weird is like we still don't know if he's deliberately like dismantling twitter or if he's accidentally dismantling twitter just through not great moves yeah Um, because i mean exactly because it does seem like the original purchase was to not dismantle it but kind of like to like kind of have some sort of hand in you know discourse especially when it comes to um like political discourse and social discourse and having some sort of power in that yeah but it's like, is this the way you? This is the way you're going about that? Like, right. yeah, it's it's confusing, and um, it does often seem like a movie sometimes. You know, it's like, how did this happen? Yeah, it seemed like if somebody wrote this like five years ago as like a movie, like it would be rejected because yeah. it just like sounds like like a bad movie. Yeah, and that's life now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Oddly enough, I mean. Yeah, just thinking about everything. Honestly, how 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 did we get here? How did 2016 happen? That in and of itself is like when they say that. Remember when everyone thought the world was ending in 2012? Yeah, because the Mayan calendar. I still kind of think it did, (laughs) or we like switched timelines or something weird happened. Yeah, because after that is when everything really started to go 
get weird. That's true. There's definitely a shift within a few years after that of like weird things increasingly getting going off the rails mm-hmm. uh, from a period of in 2012 where it almost like seemed like we were in a good place yeah. and like things were moving forward like society was improving in a lot of great ways mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden like we're like taking all these steps back and things are like um getting really shaky in a lot of different ways yeah yeah it's very unclear yeah the steps back is so i think jarring and maybe I don't know. I, I, I find it to be very jarring. Um, and I think maybe it's just the way we were raised, where we were kind of taught. It just did, I think in the 90s especially, have this air of like, we're progressing, you know, like right. as a society or like the internet, like, you know, things are going to be great in the future because of all this progression. And it just, yeah, now it's just regression, it feels like. Yeah, I um maybe that's like a common experience as millennials or something like that. But I, I remember when I took like history of astrology classes with like Nick Campion in the mid two thousands at Kepler, he would always like make this point that like, he's like, things go in cycles and things do not just inevitably mm. and always improve. He's like, sometimes civilizations or cultures or society can have a downfall or a step back mm-hmm. and, and that it he he was talking about like the myth of he called it the myth of progress and I just remember like being so like objecting to that so much and what he was saying and saying like no like obviously society progresses and right. things are getting better and it's like we're on an upward slope and like that's not going to change or something it can only get better from here obviously because a new foundation has been laid mm-hmm. um, yeah and it's really interesting I keep, I always reflect on that and just what my internal almost like violent objection to that was philosophically Mm -hmm. when he was saying it but now in retrospect understanding that that's true and also now having a much greater historical perspective having studied all these different ancient civilizations and cultures as part of the history of astrology and seeing that there's like societies rise and fall Mm -hmm. and um you know there's no there's not a lot of like sense of permanence like there's an impermanence to everything and that's just part of the world yeah as much as us fixies don't want to admit it <laughs> yeah that's i guess that is the hardest part yeah, yeah. um i mean not, yeah but ho- hopefully in, in the long term hopefully there's still that you know um in the long term i still think that it could be and i still hope that that's true that 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 the universe like bends towards justice mm-hmm. or like some of those other sayings in terms of the long term. Um, you know, I think that still could be possible. It just means sometimes in the short timeline we can't take things for granted, but you have to continue to like fight and, and push for them and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like like what you always say about astrology and <clears throat> like the history and how we've been in periods of like great popularity of astrology and long periods where you know you weren't allowed to practice or you know it was outcast or outlawed or whatever and you always make a point of reminding people of that which i appreciate because it's true I, I look we're in this incredible period right now but i'm very interested to see what happens when neptune leaves pisces and um you know just what's to come of things because um yeah and knowing this and knowing the history you know that like we're in this kind of bubble right now, but um, it's not always that way. It's not always going to be that way, um, especially with the rise of, you know, 
conservatism around the world. It's like, it's something to definitely think about and keep in mind, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm honestly like so nervous about that or continue to be, um, and not to like hark on it because I know I've mentioned it in a bunch of other episodes, but just, you know, that things move in cycles and astrology has been on top for the past several years. Kind of, it's been almost miraculous or mm-hmm. kind of interesting seeing that, especially how, how fast it happened um, and how thoroughly it's then showed up in different parts of society. But just knowing from the past that that doesn't always stay permanently, but even that goes through cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause like, 10, 10 years ago when I was doing this again at parties and stuff, like no one knew what a rising sign was. Right. Yeah. It was still just like sun signs. Yeah. Like that's the biggest thing that I'll never get over is how like everybody knows their big three at this mm-hmm. point, or there's such a higher percentage of people, even if they don't like believe in astrology, think it's valid, who still would know their sun, moon, and rising at this point just because of how much it's gone through different levels of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm sure you had this too. But I remember being young and into this and thinking like, it would be so cool if like, you know, everyone knew their moon sign, you know. Um, and just kind of thinking of it as like, that'd be cool. That'll never happen. Like, no one's ever going to be nerdy about this, like the way I am. And it's happening. I, right. I still never get over it. Like, yeah, I don't right place at the right time type of thing, it feels like. Because people... You know, my friends and stuff who've known I've been doing this for forever, they're like, wow, like they even think like you've been doing this for so long. Like, how did this <laughs> it's kind of amazing how this happened for you? And it is. It's it truly is. I mean, who would have thought, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny because if you like listen back to like the 2017 episode, it's like I did that episode with um, Jessica Lignato and Dana Lynn Knuckles, mm-hmm. where we were talking about how there'd just been this recent like string of news stories about astrology getting more popular. And we were talking about whether it was like true or not. And I was kind of like skeptical at the time because I was seeing astrology books like, you know, on bookshelves at bookstores getting like smaller mm-hmm. and smaller. So I was like, maybe this is just hype. Maybe it's not really getting that much popular. But then it became quick, like very quickly became clear over the next year that it was that yeah. some weird generational shift had occurred and suddenly astrology was was widely popular again. Yeah, I think it was Jupiter hitting Pluto and um our our Plutos, like millennial generations, Pluto and Scorpio. Scorpio, okay. So that was like twenty eighteen. And also maybe it was Uranus and Taurus with that too. I don't know, but it definitely was a very palpable shift. Like Jupiter entered Scorpio, everyone started calling themselves a witch and being into the cult and like astrology and tarot and magic. And um it just went on from there. And then yeah, I went into Sag and I feel like a lot of the Gen Z kind of got it w- woken up to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does feel like a Jupiter. It felt like it at least. It was like that shift with Jupiter into Scorpio, and everyone was like a witch all of a sudden. Yeah, and all of the different apps came out around mm-hmm. the same time, which just happened to then catch it at the right time, but then also like reinforce it. Yeah, because all of a sudden the different apps help to popularize and make more accessible the ability to look up your big three mm-hmm. super easily. Um, yeah, it was like an re- interesting thing that some at some point, like somebody's going to write like a like historians will study that period or historians mm-hmm. of astrology will to just see all the different components that came into play. Definitely. And there's definitely 
I mean, people who are currently studying it. I remember I talked to an anthropologist a couple of years. I think it was in 2020 who was doing, um, I think, a thesis about like society's shifts in spirituality. And I think it had a, a lot to do with astrology in particular. Um, and yeah, I've talked to journal, you know, a couple journalists too about that. And even like people in college doing, you know, thesis papers and stuff on the reemergence of the popularity of astrology. So there's definitely going to be a lot to read, I think eventually. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here and like what it's like, because now all of us have experienced our early careers largely during an upturn in astrology and just like just like with the like economy or something like that, like what it's like to practice astrology if there was like a recession mm -hmm. of some sort. Yeah. Um, what that'll be like or what the extent of that is, or yeah, or or if it's not, if this is just like a new plateau and then it builds to something else from here, even though I think it's I still think I'm often skeptical of the more like idealistic version of a lot of astrologers early on. Just assume at some point, like everyone's going to believe in astrology mm -hmm. and, and it'll be viewed as um, valid and acceptable by the entire population, and therefore society will be improved as a result. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. Although it will be interesting at some point when somebody creates a model that maybe is reconciled more with current scientific theories, mm -hmm. which happens periodically like like Ptolemy did. Mm -hmm. And then for a period of time, it might, in some contexts, be scientifically respectable again. Yeah, I wonder about that too, especially with like more um, theories around like, I don't know, I'm not a science person, but um, like when the particle splitting they've been doing and seeing how like two things can sort of exist at the same place at once and just things around because I always view astrology working through some sort of like synchronicity the as above so below and so I'm curious with that type of scientific research if we'll get there that way as opposed to like the more physical phenomena like we know it's not like you know Pluto's uh, gravitational force that's probably not the reason that we're experiencing Pluto. We like, kind of know that. Right. But um, yeah, I'm curious once we get into just all these other types of science that I know nothing about. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, where we'll, where we'll go with that. Cause there's going to be so many young people, especially who are like, who are entering these fields and will be in these fields for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years mm -hmm. who are into astrology. And who will like you know maybe find more interest and in things like that? Um, yeah, it'll be cool to see where we'll go with that. But I agree. I think you guys on um, one episode a while ago, sometime last year, I think we're talking about the Jupiter Neptune conjunction in Pisces and how that's probably representing sort of like how big the bubble's going to get. Um, and I, I, I agree with that. I kind of feel like that was sort of the big, the big part of the bubble, and we're kind of on a downturn now, um, and not like in like a rapid way, but I do feel like there's been a shift. Yeah, I think because that was Austin's theory originally mm -hmm. that it had to do with Neptune and Pisces, and I came around to that over the past few years because we saw not just the rise of astrology, but also of 
magic and like other systems like that, as well as other maybe not good Neptunian things in terms of the rise of like conspiracy theories and things like that, mm-hmm. and that really affecting society and, and like opiates. Ten- sure, that's yeah, another thing, but yeah, right. Um, but that if that's true and it is keyed into Neptune and Pisces partially, then. At some point, like Saturn's going to move, Neptune's going to depart and go into Aries, and Saturn's going to conjoin it like around the same time, and just some sort of both a wall being hit there, per- perhaps, or a bubble being popped. But also, um, I think it was like Tarnus or somebody talks about Saturn Neptune conjunctions and rises of um, skepticism around mm. those times. So that might be part of it as well, just because the skeptics field has been in disarray for most of the past decade for some reason. Due to a loss of leadership, and mm-hmm. at some point, like that'll probably be fixed or reborn in some new way. Yeah, that makes sense. You had a really great episode with kind of like a skeptic. Um, I forget what her name was, but I just remember really liking that episode. <laughs> she approached it really well. I think. Oh yeah, that was earlier. Was it this year or last yeah, I year? Think it was this oh, yeah. year. Okay, yeah, yeah, that was it. Was explaining astrology to a skeptic. Right. I think was the title. Yeah, yeah, because that's part of what I want. I've been trying to do with the podcast was to present astrology in the highest level possible and explain it in a way where if somebody was an educated skeptic or or just person from another field like physics or something like that, that you could learn astrology and see maybe a way that it could be valid because then I feel like that's how we're going to find that person who is the sort of mm-hmm. smart person that is a knows physics or or some other fields that are relevant in order to create some sort of like unified theory um, where astrology becomes a component of that in a way that um, creates a, a theory that at least for a period of time uh, sort of explains the world and has a place for astrology. That makes sense, yeah. That would be awesome. I hope that happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it'll happen again because it happens periodically. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, scientific consensus of things is always temporary. It's like people eventually there's like a scientific breakthrough and everybody's on the same page for a period of time, whether it's like a century or a few centuries or something like that. And then eventually we discover something new and it kind of either cancels out or just creates a new understanding of the way the universe works and then that becomes the new understanding for a mm-hmm. few centuries and occasionally like astrology does become part of that it just happened to like fall out of that worldview a few centuries ago and because astrology is largely practiced um, on the sidelines of society we just haven't had one of those people come along in mm-hmm. quite a while who is really smart in a number of different fields and including astrology. Yeah. Um, but that's why some of this stuff on the podcast over the past few years has been so that's been a large part of my work is trying to articulate what the fundamental principles are, are of astrology as clearly as we can. Cause then I think that'll make it easier at some point for somebody to create that unified field theory of some mm-hmm. sort. Yeah. That's important work. Yeah. Yeah. Well and yeah, and sometimes some of it is just thinking about really simple things like with this Venus retrograde and observing what's happening and documenting it and processing it together, mm-hmm. you know, as astrologers in dialogue as we're learning those things and putting it in the historical record. And in some ways, you know, different people will draw on and find that useful in different ways in the future in ways that we probably can't even anticipate or imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
I love that. I love thinking about it that way. And you're, you're such like an archiver Mercury. <laughs> you're like the perfect person for, for setting this, uh, yeah, this sort of library up for the future because we need it. We definitely will need it. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like, I wonder how many episodes I have actually listened to of the astrology podcast. Cause I feel like I've listened to most of them. Um, but it's always cool when people are like, yeah, I'm binging your podcast. And I'm like, whoa, like people are actually listening to this. Right. <laughs> so like, and not just like the day I put it out. It, it always kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Did you have people like my weirdest experience was when I started going to conferences at one point and then people started coming up to me and like talking to yeah. me about podcast episodes they'd listened to. Yeah. Uh, and that was wild, like something I had said like five years ago that really impacted them mm -hmm. or something. Did you mm -hmm. have that when you went to like Norwalk last year? Yeah, I did. Norwalk and Isar, I had a lot of people just like saying really nice things to me about my podcast and how much they love it. And I also get it out in the world sometimes. I'll randomly have someone like recognize me and they're like, I listen to your podcast. Um, it happened to me in Berlin actually last summer. I was just like by myself waiting to get a table at a restaurant. And this girl was like, is your name Kira? Like, are you an astrologer? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I think she had followed me on Twitter or something, but I ended up like eating with her and her friends. And yeah, it's always so wild to be recognized. And always people are saying like the sweetest things. And so it's really cool. I'm like, if I were to be recognized for anything, um, yeah, I'm happy it's this. And I get like nice people <laughs> right. saying nice things. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's better than like you wrote a terrible horoscope call in like <laughs> five years ago and it always stuck with me. And, like, yeah, like yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really cool. And that's a nice place. I look forward to seeing where you go and that this is like, this is post Saturn return Kira. You're in your post Saturn return era, yeah. And how that's already starting to shape up in some in really interesting ways. I'm excited to see what you do with that app and how that goes when it launches later this year. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, post Saturn return Kira is definitely a little less uh, wearing five million hats because <laughs> I just can't do it anymore. Right. I really do think back to like 2018, 2019, and like. 2020 all the things I was doing even while working full-time and like I don't know how I did it Saturn really slowed me down what was the one though like when it ingressed was it into Aquarius that you stepped back from like organizing some of the the um, lectures right yeah yeah okay. I, I mean I was doing it it was Saturn in Aquarius like my first hit of my Saturn return which was 2020 because my Saturn's at one so it's stationed there I was still very much in it and doing it um and yeah it was i think it was probably like last year when it started to square my mars and my sun where i was like i can't do anything anymore <laughs> it really like slowed me down um and really made me consolidate it also the south node was just parked on my mars which mm -hmm. is in my ninth house and ruling my ninth house so i had a big like you know stop teaching stop doing the podcast for a while i was like really not doing ninth house stuff for a while. Um, That's such an amazing having a twelfth house transit and just learning to let go. Sometimes this can be such a profound but simple thing. Yeah, it was it was tough, but 
Um, especially because I felt like I felt like I had to keep going for the community and like I wanted to keep being able to like put on these summits and stuff for like, you know, the emerging astrologers and all of that. But it was just so not sustainable anymore. And yeah, physically, I just like couldn't couldn't do it. My brain couldn't do it anymore. But yeah, so now I'm just trying to figure out I'm just focusing in and trying to do less and like always trying to tell myself to do less <laughs> so I don't burn out like crazy like I did before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right now I'm just doing this app and doing readings and um, trying not to put more on my plate, <laughs> which is so hard. It's a Mars issue, I think. Yeah. I mean, that and uh, just setting good boundaries for oneself is Sounds like a good Saturn and Pisces yeah. thing as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so what's the app called again? It's <clears throat> excuse me, Stars Align. Okay. Um, and yeah, it will be out in November. So we are I'm like just announcing this tomorrow, I guess. I need to make some sort of video to announce it, but tomorrow um, being August thirteenth. Fourteenth. Oh yeah, thirteenth. Yeah, the thirteenth. Okay. Um and just announcing my involvement in it and everything and the fact that we're um, just on socials and making social media videos and stuff. So trying to get people to follow there and just kind of join along in the community because, um, yeah, I'm excited once we finally launch, we'll hopefully have enough people like on the wait list and kind of like ready for it so that, because dating apps are weird because you need people on them. <laughs> in order for them to like work well, you know? Right. Cause you need to be able to find, like if there's not a lot of people in your area, then you're going to be kind of like, this is boring. There's like two dudes that I can swipe through. Um, so yeah, we're just trying to like spread the word and I'm making crazy TikTok videos that are kind of, they're fun. They're a little um, scandalous. I feel like <laughs> it's a little bit more of like, me being a little bit more uh, pop astrology, uh, kind of roasting some signs and stuff, which I usually don't do. I kind of feel bad. <laughs> My Pisces rising is like, I want to be nice to everyone. Right. Um, you got to bring that Mars and Scorpio out more a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. It's really just trying to go viral on TikTok. It's like, what do you do to go viral on TikTok? Probably not be like nice to everyone all the time. <laughs> right. That'd be really funny if that it turns out to be your like life's thing is just like roasting people or roasting yeah. different signs or something like that. And then afterwards being like, I'm so sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's nuanced, I swear. Um, but yeah, we're at Stars Aligned on um, Instagram. I don't remember. I It's bad. I don't remember our handles, but it's Stars Aligned in some fashion, like stars aligned app or something, um, on Twitter and TikTok. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm like, I'm having a lot of fun with it. We have a really fun team and yeah, building the algorithms, just something I've always wanted to do. Like I thought about it so much over the years and it's really cool to have the opportunity to finally do it and test it out. Yeah, and to have the ability to like put some of those theories into practice and then see how it works and see if it works and and adjust it and just keep fine-tuning it. Uh, sounds like a really fun project. Yeah, it's really fun for me. My Jupiter and Virgo is like, yes, this is exactly the task for me. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, yeah, the ruler of the Ascent of the Seventh and mm -hmm. like being involved in building a relationship 
astrology app. Yeah. That's good. I like that. I'll put that in my like mental bank. Yeah. Um, and then what's your website? And you have different stuff like lectures and consultations. People can find you there. Yeah. You know, I took all of my lectures offline a long time ago. I don't have anything online anymore. I don't know why I did that really, but I guess I was like trying to redo my store and I never got, a, I never got around to it, but I have figured out cause I do have so much material. Um, but regardless, it's Kira.world. It's my website, um, world O R L D. And yeah, I do consults every month. I just open up my books at the end of every month and I have like 12 spots pretty much. Um, and yeah, and then I do fun stuff like, you know, corporate workshops and I like working with, uh, like companies and teams and yeah, whatever activations they come up with and they want a reader. I'm like down. Um, so yeah, but basically just readings right now and that. Cool. Yeah. That sounds like a, a lot, uh, but it sounds like a good amount to do. Yeah. It's good for 31, almost 32 year old Kira that yeah. <laughs> doesn't want to be uh, all over the place anymore. Yeah. Well, I look forward to checking in at some point with maybe like post second Saturn return Kira and like yeah. where you're at and how far you've come at that point and, and looking back on things. So we'll have to do this again then at some in, point. In 30 years from me. <laughs> I mean, we can maybe do like a quarter okay. or something like that, like a you know seven year check-in or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm also just looking forward to whenever you finally get around to doing the Saturn return episodes too. Of Aquarius. Yeah. yeah. I haven't done that yet. We talked um, about it a bit. Um, I think when we re recorded the June episode. Um, so yeah, I'm down yeah. to do it if you ever want to, but I okay. just love talking about Saturn returns. <laughs> I think now that I'm like past it. Yeah. That's a really good idea. I've been dragging my feet because usually I do it closer to when it's finished, um, but just haven't gotten in the headspace, but I should do that. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. It's cool. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah. Have a good time at the at the uh, concert. Thanks. I'll send you a picture. All right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. A special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, 
and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, sinistry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com.